What's up, everybody? This is One on One live from Los Angeles on Radio Row. Nick DeLuca, Jack Roach, Mike Legan, Mike Messina. So happy that you could join us on this Friday afternoon. The weekend is here, Super Bowl 56, just a couple of days away, the Bengals and the Rams. And before we kick anything off, so happy that we could be joined by John Jastrzemski of the Ringer podcast, among others. John, appreciate you taking some time with us. Fellas, my pleasure. First of all, some pipes. Some pipes for this <laughs> WFUV crew. I mean, listen, I would expect nothing less, but thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to see you guys out here. Los Angeles, I'll tell you this. Los Angeles in February blows New York in February out of the water. Yeah. I cannot do I cannot do any more New York winners. I'm over it. I've had it. I'm with you. I'm, I'm and I've heard it's train. been decent there this week, but yeah. still, decent is 40 degrees. It's just so. that, that perfect time of year when the beautiful snow becomes disgusting gray slush and you just want to... I was going to say, you, you want to call it beautiful. <laughs> Listen, I went to school at Syracuse. I've seen enough snow for a lifetime, boys. Oh, my enough. God. He's seen enough snow for a lifetime. So let's talk about the palm trees and the sunshine here in Los Angeles. Super Bowl 56. What are your initial sort of expectations for Sunday's game? Are you leaning Rams or Bengals here? Uh, I'm stoked for the game. Uh, I'm on the Rams. Now, listen, I had the Rams at 15-1 at the beginning of the year. I thought they were an all-in type of team. You talk about Stafford and what he's brought to the table. Their defensive line is tremendous, and they've brought in all these veterans. I mean, they bring in Von Miller at works. I didn't like the move to bring in Beckham. They bring in Beckham, and he's been a godsend. They would not be playing in the Super Bowl without him. I just think they are flat out better. And I, I don't know if you guys have gotten a sense being out here. I feel like most of the folks you talk to, they want to pick Cincinnati. Yeah. They want to buy into the Joe Burrow storyline. It's fun. He's exciting. That's, that's all well and good, except the Rams are better. Like, I, I've yet to hear somebody make the argument to me, for how Cincinnati legitimately is going to win this game. What yep. is it? That Burrow, what, Burrow's going to be great? Burrow's I mean, going to come back. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, if I, I, and the only thing that scares me from a Rams perspective, and you guys are going to probably laugh about this, the place kicker. I think Cincinnati's got a major leg up with McPherson, who is automatic and does not miss field goals, and that's where it could get dicey, dude. That's where it could get dicey. But I, I think the Rams are better. I think they're winning by two scores. I think if this game is tight, it actually favors Cincinnati, but I don't see it being within, like, three points. I think the Rams are winning by two scores. But what you just said about you don't see how they win that game, you know, on paper it looks like the Rams are the better team. I've had that same dialogue in my head for every game that the Bengals have played. I mean, listen, I bet against them in every game, so take that for what it's worth. <laughs> and I've also bet on the Rams in every game. So something's got to give with this Super Bowl, and you nailed it. But think about it. They're up 21-3, to Kansas City, and the game was over. Even at 21-10, the game was over. They have that snafu at the end of the first half. They miss out on three. Mahomes, brain fart, has got to throw the ball away. He's got to take a whole lot of grief for that. And then I don't know what happened to Mahomes and the Chiefs in the second half of that game. I, I, they got spooked. I mean, that's really the best way to look at it. They got totally, totally spooked. So, you know, I don't see that happening with Los Angeles. They've been here. This coach has been here. They got a lot of veterans on his team. I, I think they're going to be ready for the moment. We're talking Super Bowl, but selfishly, I want to hear your thoughts on you know yesterday's trade trade deadline and the Nets in this blockbuster trade acquiring Ben Simmons. I mean, we're still hearing about all the pieces, but Seth Curry, a um, couple more, you know, immediate reactions to that. 
You know, guys, I think it's a win-win, actually, for both teams. I really do. Because, listen, James Harden didn't want to be there. I mean, let's call it like it is. Wasn't playing games. Didn't want to be there. Ate his way out of Houston. And basically was pounding <laughs> dominoes and double cheeseburgers or whatever. Played well for Brooklyn last year. But I don't know. Is it the vaccine stuff with Kyrie? Is it Ky- Nobody knows why Harden became disenchanted. But he didn't want to be there. So you want to be on the hook for $40 million? No. So what do they do? They get a young, disgruntled talent in Simmons. They get a sharpshooter in Curry. They get a big who can play a little bit in Drummond. Mm -hmm. And I think Simmons will be great here from this standpoint. He's not going to the Knicks. The attention around Brooklyn, I'm sorry, it's not the same. So he's not going to be scrutinized with every missed shot. He's not going to get booed the way he was getting booed in Philadelphia. He's with Durant. Kyrie, I think he's going to play in some of these home games eventually. I don't know when that is, but I think he's going to play in these home games eventually. And I think Simmons is going to be fine. So all things considered, for a guy who didn't want to be there, Brooklyn did all right. And I think in the short term, listen, Philly gets their guy. Maury gets his guy. He and Embiid, that's a short-term window. Because, listen, when we're talking about a center who's 7-1, as good as Embiid is, body types to centers, it break down quickly. you got to strike while the iron is hot. We'll see how that works out for them over the next couple of years. But I like it for both teams. To me, this was such a fascinating trade, not only because you're swapping two of the top talents in the entire NBA, guys who really wanted to be out of their current situations. There wasn't a lot of leverage on both sides. But two teams that are also really competing in the Eastern Conference, I mean, it's not insane to think that the Eastern Conference final could be between Brooklyn and Philadelphia. I mean, these are two really good teams competing towards an NBA championship. Who do you think has the upper hand right now? I I feel like it still has to be the Nets, right? That's a good question. That's a good question. Is Kyrie playing in all home games? Yes. Well, (laughs) I mean, because if the answer... But listen, if the answer to that question is no, then it's not Brooklyn. Like, Durant is the best player of the bunch, sure. But then you have a mix where, you know, you're talking about Kyrie, you're talking about Simmons, you're talking about... Curry, you know, like that's a nice core. Patty Mills, I'll go with the best player, especially because I don't trust Harden in big games. I don't. I mean, the guy came up small in basically every big game he played with with the Rockets. You couldn't find the guy last year. So I'm not exactly singing the praises of James Harden, let's be honest. I'm not. So I would take the Nets. I don't think they're fa- the idea, though, guys, that they're the favorites to win the Eastern Conference to me is laughing. Well, they lost ten games in a row. I don't, I don't know if they're don't know the favorite, you, but no, I just no, think it's the, realistic to look, think they'd be there. Look at the Vegas odds, though. The Vegas odds still have them right there. Yeah. I mean, which is a joke. I mean, Milwaukee to me, they have continuity and they're a better team. Miami is a better team. I would not put my money on the Nets to win the East. Yeah. No shot. Well, you've also got Katie out, right? Which exposed. they're a different team when he plays. I understand that. Even when he is there, though. I'm not picking it. There's too many questions. There's too many questions. And the other element at play here is you're working in guys at the end of the year. Basically, you're telling Ben Simmons and Curry and company to get acclimated within a month and a half. Not an easy thing to do. That's not an easy thing to do, guys. And then on the flip side, you've got James Harden and Bede. I mean, is that the most lethal pick-and-roll duo in the league now? That's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, you would probably say yes by default. I mean, that doesn't mean they're going to win an NBA paper. title, though. I mean, it doesn't mean they're going to get through my aunt. My, I, people sleep on how good the Heat are, man. They're tough. That team's got hoods, but, man, they know how to win big games. Milwaukee, they defend. Giannis, 
The fact that Giannis and that team are kind of like flying under the radar, I would I would love it if I'm them. I would absolutely love it if I'm them. That's the best thing for them. Really is. I, I, I think you're right. It's pretty incredible how a team wins an NBA championship and is not still thought of to be right there again. And I, I think it's certainly a valid point. Wanted to get your perspective a little bit because I know that you Frank, frequently talked, I'm talking to John Stremski here on SNY about the Giants, among other things. Your reaction to this new regime, Brian Dable, Joe Shane coming in, and what they're going to bring to the table with the Giants here. Yeah, guys, I like where they're at. I mean, listen, better late than never. I mean, Dave Gettleman was as bad as can be. I think he'll go down as one of the worst general managers in the history of New York sports. That's how pathetic and how rotten his tenure was with the Giants. Look, I don't know if Joe Shane can draft. I don't know if he has the right you know, scouting mentality, but he's coming from a good organization. I, I like that. Brian Dable, look at the job he did with Josh Allen. You know, let's not make Josh Allen out to be like this can't-miss prospect when he came out of college. He was not. He had arm talent. He had physical gifts, but he was playing at Wyoming, for goodness sake. So I'm going to give Brian Dable a lot of the credit for getting him to the next level as a quarterback. So I like that idea, and you get a free year with Jones. You see how it goes with Jones, but I think more than likely in two years they're drafting yeah. a quarterback, and that's fine. But I like the infrastructure now, and I like the fact two guys that know each other well and two guys coming from the same organization on the same timetable. Giants haven't had that now in about a decade. You mentioned how you expect them to draft a quarterback in two years. Year four for Daniel Jones, new head coach. What are expectations for him this year? I mean, I think he's going to be better, guys, but he don't play. I mean, look, look at his track record over the last couple of years. He doesn't, he doesn't play 16, 17 games. That's a major knock. Now, I think a positive for him is how the Giants looked without him. They were middle-of-the-pack offense, not particularly good, but look at the Giant offense when he was not there. They were one of the worst offenses, if not the worst offense in the NFL. I mean, it was, it was embarrassing what they were putting on the field. I want to see him in this new offense. I want to see him healthy. I want to see two offensive linemen in front of them, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah, I think that's got to be a huge emphasis for them. And, J.J., we really appreciate you taking some time. We'll get you out of here on this one. I know that you're a big Dolphins fan. Curious what your thoughts are on Tua's future going forward and the influence of Mike McDaniel coming in to lead that team. Well, I'll tell you this about McDaniel, guys. He's either going to be a slam dunk head coach or he's going to be out of the league in a year and a half. Like, <laughs> I know, like there are certain hires that are like, they, there's no middle ground with Mike McDaniel. It's slam dunk or monumental flop. I like that he's an offensive mind. I like that he's got a little quirkiness to him. And I think it'll be really good for Tua. Look, Tua played top-flight college football. He had the hip injury. I think that has clearly played a role. Like, if you watch Tua and Herbert play in college, it wasn't close. Tua's a better player. Now you watch him, it's not even close. Herbert's the better player. Herbert's in a system where he's got talent around him. He's got a big arm. They're utilizing those physical gifts. You have to build a, an offense tailor-made to Tua. I think you have to run the football. I think you have to work off play action. He's super accurate. He's super smart. I think he can be a top-half quarterback in the league. The problem is, I don't know if he's going to be a star, and that ultimately will hold you back in this modern-day NFL. You need a star quarterback, so we'll see. JJ, really appreciate you taking some time. Guys, my Enjoy pleasure. Enjoy Super Bowl week. Yes, you too. Thanks for having me. Later, guys. That's John Yastrzemski on WFUV Sports, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We really appreciate him taking some time as we get things rolling here on one-on-one. -on -one. Nick DeLuca, Jack Roach. 
here with you at the moment. We'll go through what to expect on Sunday. The Rams blow out, as John talked about a little bit, or maybe an icy performance from Joe Burrow. We'll, we never know. Nets beat reporter Jack Roach right here with me, so we'll get his thoughts on seismic movement in the <laughs> NBA winners and losers in the James Harden and Ben Simmons trade and the latest with the New York Giants as we touched on with J.J. as they fill out their coaching staff under Brian Dable. What's next for Daniel Jones? Saquon Barkley trade potential, fixing the offensive line. Who are they targeting in the NFL draft? All that and more here as we roll on from Radio Road. Jack, how are you today? I'm good. You mentioned the James Harden situation. I got to say, bought a jersey a month ago, never seen it become <laughs> vintage in under two months. So. That's, that's really <laughs> a rough development for Jack. And, you know, I, I thought Mike Legan had a really good line for you. He said you should have waited about a month. You would have gotten it on clearance. I mean, listen, it's vintage now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I bought stock early. Maybe when Philly potentially wins the championship, that jersey's going to be going for a lot of money. I, I wouldn't think so, though. It would be the Harden Philadelphia jerseys, you would imagine, right? Well, what I'll say is, depending on how things play out, this is going to make for one hell of an ESPN 30 for 30. Yeah. I, I loved getting a chance to talk to JJ about it, but it's so interesting to me because you get into this situation and nobody had any leverage. James Harden didn't want to be there. Ben Simmons very clearly did not want to be in Philadelphia. So two teams that really didn't have anywhere else to turn. And yes, you might say one team might have come out on the better end than the other, but I would say it was pretty close to fair value. And, you know, both teams are getting something good out of what is a really difficult situation for, for both of these organizations. Yeah. And, you know, I saw a tweet today saying that if we've learned anything from this Philadelphia situation, it's that when you have a star under contract who wants out, you don't just sell him the minute he's unhappy, right? Yeah. Maury recognized that, held on to him, and when another star became available, he pulled the trigger, right? But Ben Simmons' value was, you know, as low as it had ever been this season, and then you've got a situation brewing in Brooklyn, and there we go. You've got James Harden. A guy two years ago, three years ago, you know, MVP caliber guy. I mean, listen, I'm a huge James Harden guy. We've talked about it, you know, throughout our trip out here in L.A. Despite the focus on football, uh, still comes up. And, you know, I've got an Arizona State James Harden jersey. I think he's a great player, and I think he's going to succeed in Philadelphia. You know, I had the chance to ask J.J. if he's the best, uh, you know, alongside Embiid, the best pick-and-roll duo in the league. I mean, I still think he's that guy, but, you know, I'm just so curious to see, you know, Simmons wearing number 10 in Philadelphia, already announced his jersey number changing, and Harden sporting number one for Philadelphia. There it is. So the, the body's not even cold, and they're still, you know, getting things ready, getting uh, after the, the remnants of the trade, all, everything squared away is, you know, Ben Simmons is a Brooklyn net, and James Harden is, is shipped off to Philadelphia. What's interesting to me is that when you look at this, and this is true in, in really anything, what, what came to mind for me was this Brady and, and Belichick relationship, actually, for a number of years. You know, whether it's that, it's, it's running a business, and maybe Tom Brady proved this to not be entirely correct with a couple of really quality years in Tampa. But when you have these two quality pieces that, that don't work 
without the other. When you don't have something that can happen without another aspect of what's going on, it's really tough to have any leverage. And maybe Belichick could not have gone on and survived life. It's still to be determined without Tom Brady. And that's in large part really more about whether Mac Jones is good as opposed to what Belichick's going to do in general. But that's how I sort of see this Nets and Sixers situation. There's just no leverage. There is nobody who has any ability to really back out of that. And when the Sacramento Kings, who were the only other really viable destination for Ben Simmons to be shipped off earlier on in the season, backed out and said, no, we're going to play this in a smart way and not just absolutely mortgage the farm and give up everything that we have, like they, they did, of course, in the trade with Indiana, it's it's just so interesting that, that neither of these teams had anywhere to turn, and that's what fascinates me about this trade because Ben Simmons was never going to show up to play in Philadelphia. James Harden barely showed up. Like, he was there, but he obviously didn't want to be there. And as J.J. mentioned, he was eating his way. He certainly wasn't happy. He wasn't really putting out the requisite effort on the floor. It was more about he just didn't blatantly forego the money and, and uh, incur the fines that came with not showing up. So that to me is so interesting because I think that Brooklyn wins a little bit just because they have the better team. And a lot of that is dependent on whether Kyrie is able to stay in the fold as somebody, depending on the vaccination status, if he can play every game, Brooklyn has a better team right now. And Ben Simmons gives them a lot that maybe is even better than Harden. I'm not saying that Ben Simmons is a better player than James Harden, but I think that Ben Simmons might be a better fit for what That's Brooklyn it. wants to do when you have KD and Kyrie, a guy who can pass and who can rebound and who can defend at an elite level, which is what Ben Simmons is. I think that's a better answer for Brooklyn, but neither of these teams had anywhere to turn, and I think that's what makes it so interesting, especially when, as I mentioned, they might be playing for a chance to go to the NBA Finals. I mean, they might match up in the playoffs. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, and it's just a fascinating trade because these two teams whether they felt like they were winning losing otherwise it was good to, to ship them off they didn't have a choice nick i want to break down the fit in brooklyn but real quick to the very beginning of your point you're talking about brady and belichick i thought we agreed uh no more new england talk today I, i'm just making an analogy <laughs> no but in all seriousness i totally agree with you in the sense that Simmons may be the better fit because two of the biggest complaints for the Nets all season long, two of the biggest needs have been shooting, which Simmons does not give you, but size, right? right. You get the shooting when KD comes back. You get the shooting in Seth Curry. And if Joe Harris comes back, he's had some complications with the surgery. I mean, he's arguably the best three-point shooter in the league. So, you know, those are all big um, additions for the Nets, but size is something they've been desperately lacking all year. You know, they've tried Nick Claxton, they've tried Dayron Sharp, and you know, you look at Lamarcus Aldridge hasn't really been able to give you those consistent minutes. He's been a spark off the bench, but that primarily comes on the offensive side on the, of the ball. You know, their defense is porous at times, and you just don't have that rim protector. You get that in Andre Drummond, and you have the flexibility with Ben Simmons to give you some of that, I've always said that I view in the perfect scenario Ben Simmons as a better version of Draymond Green because he can do it all. 
but he's just not really that shooter. I mean, he's been like an assist leader. He well, can, Draymond isn't either, though. Th- that's Draymond my point. That. Yeah, that's yeah. my point. Right. You know, he he possesses the same skill set that Draymond does, but he's playing like a point guard. Yeah. And I just don't think that's a great fit. But you come to Brooklyn, you've got Kyrie Irving, who needs the law in his hands, but is pretty darn good with it. And you've got Kevin Durant, who is, you know, almost as good of a facilitator as Kyrie Irving. You don't need to be that same guy that you were in Philadelphia, where you're the primary ball handler on that team. You come to Brooklyn, and some of that load falls off his shoulders, and he can be in a similar situation that Draymond Green is in Golden State. Yeah. I I think the media and attention aspect of this is also something worth paying attention to, and J.J. hit on it, because for better or for worse, you can argue whether this is right, and, and, you know, the the Nets fandom is, is certainly one that might push back on this a little bit, but there isn't that same attention like there is, or, or pressure is probably the best way to put it, like there is in Philadelphia, especially when if the Nets are bounced in the first round. Say, the, the Nets, you know, they, they go 500 the rest of the year, they finish as the eighth seed, and they, they get bounced in the first round by Milwaukee. That's the worst-case scenario for the Nets. They got to go through the plan. Right. Okay, they lose in the plan. Forget it. Whatever whatever happens. Disastrous. Right. Who's getting blamed? Because I don't think it's Ben Simmons being there for a month and a half. Ooh, I mean... It might be Steve Nash. He Kyrie. might be gone. It might be Kyrie. You're being selfish and not getting vaccinated. You can blame any. They might even... I think James Harden would draw more blame if the Nets were bouncing the first round for not making all of that work than Ben Simmons. To me, he's playing with house money. And that's a good place for him to be. I agree. I agree. And that's a really good question about who's to blame because... I think that Nash doesn't get enough of a hard time. I think that yeah. he sometimes lacks creativity with this roster. Um, and, I mean, listen, it's crazy to look back on since he was traded from Houston to Brooklyn. You know how many games the three of them played together? Kyrie, KD, and James Harden? I think it was under 30. 16. Wow. I mean, that's an NFL season. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, that's one of the you know, on paper, one of the most elite offensive trios we've ever seen. And they played 16 games together, and right now the Nets are, I think, the eighth seed in the East. Yeah, and And lost 10 games in a row. I don't know who to blame because, you know, Durant is definitely responsible for assembling the trio, right? You, You can't act like Durant didn't go into the front office, tell Sean Marks, you have to get James Harden right now, right? And he's also the guy that came to Brooklyn with Kyrie. So Kyrie drives everyone crazy. He's not getting vaccinated. Vaccine mandate may change, but there's only so much speculation we can do there because it's just public policy. Right. You know, we're we're sports guys. Right. We, we don't know that. Um, but, I mean, there are many, many parties at fall here, and the big three that is no longer is definitely – equally responsible yeah and, and a good place again for ben simmons to be with the pressure off of him and I, and I think that that is a major aspect of all of this and he he to me is a fascinating case study and we'll get to him a little bit later in the show but just some of the unwillingness to morph his game and really try and work and improve from the perspective of a lot of people who were there in philadelphia and then when he felt disrespected as a result of not really wanting to put some of the effort in or make some of the changes he was run out of town, and that, that to me is fascinating. But 
I guess where I want to start with this or, or what jumps out to me is the, the initial reaction to James Harden just blatantly not wanting to be with the Nets. I mean, that is so interesting to me because he is a guy who historically has had trouble getting along with so many teammates. You know, it, it's, it's perhaps something buyers beware for the 76ers taking on James Harden. Is he going to all of a sudden not get along with Joel Embiid? I mean, what's next? It's amazing to me that he continues to struggle to get along with the guys he's paired with. Did you see Embiid's Twitter yesterday? No, I didn't. So he posted minutes after the trade came out this, you know, viral meme, which is essentially like it boils down to me at his funeral. And he's like dressed up, you know, yeah. like throwing shade at Ben Simmons, right. right? I feel like we did not hear much of that type of narrative from Embiid up until he didn't take that layup, yeah. right? And listen, I think Simmons is a great player. I think I think he's an elite player. He's a star. He's an a, elite defensive player, right? Yeah. And he does a lot on offense. And just to your point about him not being willing to change his skill set, I think to a certain degree – you can't fit what what a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have to be that square peg in Brooklyn. He can be who he needs to be now. So pressure off him and what are we talking about? Harden not getting along with Embiid. I think that Embiid is shockingly a really good teammate because I think that he could have thrown Simmons under the bus a lot earlier. We could have heard a lot more disgruntled talk from him, rumblings that there needs to be me or him, one or the other. And we never heard that. And here we are, got a new teammate. Maybe there are concerns, but I think that Embiid is a superstar that guys want to be with. And I guess it's been difficult with their cap situation and maybe Jimmy Butler, you know, didn't quite work out there. But I think that Harden Embiid, for some reason, just is going to work out. Two guys that are kind of vocal. I just like this fit a lot and maybe in a month two months three months i'm gonna look like the biggest fool on the planet when it all blows up but listen i would not i mean we've got the fan duel uh sports book set right here uh for our listeners in new york i uh don't think it's unwise to place a bet on the 76ers to win it all that's that's interesting i, I don't know if i'd go that far just because i'm not 100 percent sure that they are top talent-wise, and, and as J.J. rightly pointed out, it might be difficult, and he was talking about the Nets, but but the same concept serves for the 76ers, getting Joel Embiid and James Harden on the same page in about a month and a half mm -hmm. for it really being go time for them to try and advance throughout the postseason. But it is interesting how those two are going to fit together, and, and I don't necessarily disagree with you. I, I think that those two are going to be able to work together pretty well. James Harden is a guy who is not just strictly a scorer. He can pass. He can move the basketball. And having those two at different positions, there's not necessarily the same tug of war for handling the basketball for those possessions, I think, can be effective in that partnership. And I think the same can be said for the way that the Nets made out in this situation. You've got to, you've got to try and distribute the basketball with you know, Joel, Embi Joel Embiid, with Kyrie Irving, and with Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons doesn't necessarily need all of, all of those touches. Yeah, and something that actually does concern me in Philadelphia is not necessarily the fit of Embiid and Harden, 
but just the lack of options around them now that Seth Curry's out who really took a step forward in his game this year. I mean, he was kind of viewed primarily as a shooter, and this year he's proven he can be a facilitator. He can give you the points. He can assist. You know, he, he is more than strictly a shooter, and you lose that when you ship him off to Brooklyn. You don't have Andre Drummond, who gives you some minutes off the bench. I mean... You've got Tobias Harris, who, you know, he's kind of streaky. He can shoot. But, I mean, what concerns me is the minutes when Harden's not on the court, when Embiid's not on the court because Harden's still dealing with that hamstring issue. Embiid, as J.J. mentioned, you know, doesn't have the cleanest bill of health. One of those guys eventually is going to miss time, and I'm afraid if that happens that you've got another situation where Harden's upset, where Embiid's upset, you know? So a lot has to go right for them to pull this thing off. But I think when they are healthy, when they're at their best, I mean, I don't know a team that I can necessarily label as better than them. Yeah, and I, and I think, again, it illustrates what a smart trade it was for Brooklyn as well because, to me, you probably traded a $100 bill for 520s. I mean, that's what you're able mm. to do to go through and really improve the depth on this team. And Ben Simmons is probably going to be, you know, 40 or 50 bucks. I mean, he's not he's not that far behind James Harden. <laughs> but to add that depth, forget even the picks that you had to trade away to get Harden and recoup some of that value, but just what Andre Drummond brings to the table and some of that depth, I think is going to be Seth Curry as well, as you mentioned, is going to be so important for them trying to make a run into the postseason. And now – about trying to get all of those guys to fit together. I mean, that's going to be the next step to really see what they can do in the way of really smoothing over and facilitating this process to get them ready to try and make that that postseason run. I want to ask you this question, and I think that this really gets to the heart of whether it was not even who won the trade, but whether it was good or bad or the Nets a better team today with Ben Simmons and the rest of the, the value that they got for James Harden. What if he doesn't, though? He's not playing full-time right now. I'm saying, are they a better team today? On away games, they are. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when they're home, listen, Harden gives you – I mean, he's able to do his thing, and I think part of why he wanted out is because Kyrie's a liability. You don't know if he's playing the whole season. And Kevin Durant's injured. I yeah. mean, what is the difference between that situation and what you had in Houston when he wanted out? Not a whole lot, and I understand that Kevin Durant comes back, but, you know, I I was going to say these injuries, you can't always come back for them, but listen, Kevin Durant came back from one of the toughest injuries in sports. He's got that torn Achilles, and he's been arguably a better player than he was before. But I just am afraid that if Kyrie does not play full-time, then you've got that situation that you did in Philadelphia where you expect – Ben Simmons to be the primary ball handler. And I don't think he should be that 100% of the time or even 50% of the time when you've got Kyrie. Yeah. So if you've got Kyrie, the fit, the fit just makes so much more sense because as good as James Harden is, Ben Simmons gives you more versatility. And I want Steve Nash to be more cr- creative with his roster, with you know, his lineups and how they approach you know, quarter one through four. But Ben Simmons enables you to have that option because 
he can be that point guard when you've got more flexibility, more options. And to be quite honest, I think that they're a better team with him. But, I mean, listen, I love James Harden. He's my guy. I think he's a better player than Ben Simmons. But it's all about the fit. One-on-one -on -one live from Los Angeles here at Radio Road. Nick DeLuca, Jack Roach. Appreciate you hanging with us on this Friday afternoon, Super Bowl 56 on Sunday between the Bengals and the Rams talking the James Harden and Ben Simmons trade between the Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers into hour two. We'll touch on the Giants as they fill out their entire coaching staff and what to expect on, on Sunday with the Rams and the Bengals battling it out. Of course, that the main focus here in Los Angeles at Radio Row, as well as any other guests that might want to stop by for us here at Table 44 here in the Los Angeles Convention Center. But I'm I'm curious how you feel because I'm to a point where I like the trade for Philadelphia because they didn't have any other option. I just don't know that they're good enough to compete for an NBA title right now. I mean, those two are really good but I think they blew away any depth that they might have had throughout the rest of their roster. And I know the causes for concern injury history-wise with both Harden. Is he 100% healthy? What's the deal with him? Is he going to be reliable? Joel Embiid certainly has had his share of injury issues. And I'm just not 100% it's going to be able to be consistent enough when push comes to season time in particular when they won't have much to offer off the bench to really change things around if a team is able to find some success. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the Sixers roster right now. First off, love Tyrese Maxey alongside Harden because, I mean, he is a combo guard, you know, and his shooting splits are way up this year. I mean, he's just at the edge of a 50-40-90 season, and, you know, he's giving you five assists, 17 points per game. I like that fit alongside Harden because he's almost like a light version of Harden because he can do what you need him to do, but not to the full capacity of Harden. So I think that they complement each other well. And, you know, Tobias Harris is a good player. He needs options around him. Can't really be what you need out of him by himself. But I think that he's a really good fit in that starting lineup. It's the bench. That's what concerns me. And Matisse Tybel has been a stud defensively. I'm upset the Celtics drafted him, traded him away on draft night. So, I mean, he's one of the elite defenders in the NBA. I think he's a really good piece for them, complements stars really well, but he's not scoring. He's not giving you that scoring yeah. off the bench. And you got Shake Milton, you know, another guy that can create for himself, but, I mean, he's given up as many points as he's putting in. So I guess he plays alongside. I mean, Danny Green's having an off year. You're right. The concerns with the 76ers is the depth. I mean, you know what Harden and Bede can do. And listen, we've still got questions about the fit. But the bench and the lack of depth does concern me. Whereas in Brooklyn, that was their concern. They didn't have that depth. They had the stars. And you've got the Kyrie situation. You've got the Harden lingering issue. You've got Kevin Durant being injured. But they just acquired depth that they desperately needed so you kind of flip the script on you've got superstars missing games but no depth you know goes from one city to another yeah it's it's the full 180 degrees there for both of these organizations to try and figure out what's exactly going on and time will tell as the nets in the 76ers among other organizations battle it out 
to try and find their way to the NBA Finals. Always fascinating, and I want to expand at least a little bit, just recapping the NBA trade deadline and a number of moves that were made and, and some moves that, of course, were not made. And that, to me, jumped out perhaps the most with the Nets, not the Nets, with the Knicks and the Lakers, two of the most notable teams not active at all. No moves by the Lakers or the Knicks. And in the case of the Knicks, I feel like that was the right way to play it, unless you were going to ship away Julius Randle, unless you were telling me that we're, we're done with this experiment. We feel like we've got to move in another direction, and I'm not 100% sold that that's the right answer because then what are you getting for him when his value is really low and who's going to come to New York? It's the same beat of the drum that you've been hearing for the last five to ten years about who's coming. you got to get that tier B or C superstar to come in and really try and elevate his play and, and hoping that things can turn around that way. But there's no, there's not a viable replacement that's really going to improve your roster for the sake of just getting rid of Julius Randle. And then you're in the same spot that you've been because you don't have a, a requisite top flight player. If Julius Randle is playing well, I think that he can be that type flight, top flight option. The flip side for the Lakers, I, I'm disappointed with them not making a move. I think that they desperately needed to make one. They desperately needed to shake things up. And again, it, it's hard to evaluate because you always have to give the teams at least a little bit of leeway not understanding what the trade conversations were like but at the same time LeBron James is not getting any younger and I know that he is playing at an incredibly high level right now for being 37 years old I mean it's it's ridiculous how well he is playing but how long is he going to continue to play this way how long are the Lakers going to be able to build on what is maybe even already a closed championship window. Like, I don't think that that's ridiculous to say they are not in a position to compete for the NBA Finals right now. They're certainly not there. LeBron said it himself. I mean, they played Milwaukee a couple of nights ago, and they asked him, you know, are you going to be on that level? And he said, no. no right now, we are not even close to on Milwaukee's level. And, you know, there, there was a bit of an interesting response on the follow-up, like, can you guys get there? And, and he said, I don't know. But it certainly didn't sound convincing. And you at least appreciate that kind of candor from LeBron. But it raises serious questions. How are they getting that level if they weren't making any moves at the deadline? That, that to me is a failure. Yeah, let's start with L.A. just because of, you know, where we are. Right next door yeah. to former Staples Center, now Crypto.com. Uh, can't believe that happened. But um, the reality of the situation is they just didn't have any options, Right. And I know that there were discussions for Westbrook in exchange for John Wall. And that's just... Spinning your wheels. That's just, I mean, that would be awesome like five years ago. Yeah. But, but not, not today. When That'd you, be Harden and Simmons five years ago. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I like John Wall. Now the Lakers are focused on the buyout market, and he's a prime guy to get bought out. Yeah. So I guess you get rid of this Westbrook contract. It just doesn't What make... he is in the locker room, too, which has apparently been up and down just with the role and everything going on. Yeah. I like John Wall, and I think that if he is bought out, he's going to the Lakers. But it just doesn't make a ton of sense to make a move that, you know, potentially destruct. You know, that could be disastrous. If he, I mean, he hasn't played all year. We don't yeah. know what shape he's in. You don't know if he's game rent. And that's really your prime option. So... I don't know what other trade you were expecting, we were expecting them to make. So it, it
means you can't make a trade. So, I mean, listen, would you have liked them to make other moves to maybe soften the blow of, of West playing out for the Lakers? I guess. But, I mean, what? We, let's talk about New York, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that they made the right decision to stand pat. I really do, because I don't know what they are chasing after to try and improve this roster. And, and the, the good thing for the Lakers in being able to be flexible at the deadline was you have your two key pieces. Like, you know mm-hmm. you're building around LeBron James and Anthony Davis and, and those Clark. guys. Sure, sure. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, the way he's played recently, I mean, I don't, well, you're not building around him, but he's been a really valuable piece for them. I, I think it's not crazy to say that those guys are still, you know, centerpiece options on a championship team, and you got to build around them in the right way. The Knicks don't have that type of guy right now who you feel like can lead them to a championship. That's not Julius Randle. That's not what the, the Knicks roster is built right now. Maybe R.J. Barrett can grow into that guy. I mean, you've liked what you've seen from him somewhat recently. He has continued to grow and get better, and, and the Knicks are hoping that he'll be able to elevate to that top-flight talent that they were hoping to see when he was drafted in the top five. But I, I'm just curious if there was anything out there for the Knicks to make any type of move that was going to improve their roster, and I, I don't think there was a move there that takes them closer to a championship. And I, I mentioned it off the jump, but you're in the same spot. You're spinning your wheels. It is the same old song about we can't attract the free agent talent here, so we've got to build this thing in another way. We're trying to build through the draft. We want to be smart with our contracts. And even the Julius Randle contract is not so ridiculous that they can't get it off their books and that in the right situation, he wouldn't be a valuable piece to another team worth what he is making right now. I mean, there are teams in the NBA. The problem is the Knicks aren't just selling for the sake of selling. I don't think that makes sense. I think it also takes, as we talked about with Ben Simmons, the right personality to be in New York and to deal with that pressure. Now, Julius Randle recently hasn't necessarily shown that all the time, but I'm still confident that he is that guy and that is a valuable aspect of what the Knicks are chasing and I don't think you can just give up on that because things haven't gone as well as you would like this year and you know what Nick we'd be having a different conversation if the Knicks made the progress that we were expecting them going into this year yeah they what 41 31 last year I mean they went on an incredible stretch to end the year and then they add Evan Fournier Kemba Walker you expected them to be better than they are and what's been, you know, a mediocre season for the Knicks. If they were actually a team that were, you know, destined to be better than just a play-in team, I think that puts more pressure on the Knicks to actually go out and acquire a guy that helps them this season. But I think at this point, the Knicks realize that they kind of got to let the season run its course. There's no reason to give up assets to get a guy that might only help you this year for a team that's not really expected to make a lot of noise in the playoffs. So I think that you want your young guys to pro, you know, produce and progress. And you want to see which of the veterans are actually here for the long haul. Julius Randle. You know, is Evan Fournier a guy that you want going forward? What do you do with Kemba Walker? You've still got him on the books next year. Are those guys that you want to ship? 
but it just doesn't make sense to give up assets, to give up potential future contributors in Emmanuel Quickly, in RJ, or um, not RJ Barrett, in Obi Toppin, you know, in Mitchell Robinson. You want to see those guys grow. And listen, I really hope that Tibbs gives them the opportunity to do that because, you know, Tom Thibodeau is a guy that really is set in stone with his rotation. And to be quite honest, I'm really disappointed in how they're handling this Cam Reddish situation because you give up a first-round pick for a guy that has a lot of potential and you haven't quite harnessed that yet in Atlanta, but I think it's still there. And he's a guy that could help this Knicks team, could be a guy that's, you know, a starting piece, but he's barely even cracked the lineup. I think, you know, he's probably played like 20 minutes in his entire time in New York. That makes me upset. So, the reality is it just doesn't make a lot of sense for the Knicks to get a guy that helps them this year. So what? They win two, three more games? And then what? What's your end game here? I think that they're focused on next year, which is unfortunate and upsetting for New York fans that had really high expectations this season. It's so weird to me that there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between what Tom Thibodeau is running throughout his rotation and evidently what the front office saw in Cam Reddish. And I, I, I'm not sure that I mean, maybe maybe we're not there every day and maybe there's some other stuff and he's still learning along a system, but you feel like a guy who's that talented can give you at least some minutes off the bench, whether it be you know in, in a lower leverage situation where he's going to come in and defend or, or you, you put him in a certain position to, to at least get him on the floor, to, to use him a little bit to your advantage, why are you giving up a first-round pick for him otherwise? And this is I'm, – I'm fascinated by the decision that's going to come for the Knicks organization this offseason because I don't think that Tom Thibodeau is safe by any stretch of the imagination, but I also think that there needs to be a pumping of the brakes and evaluation of – we have been so bad for so long. Finally have the success in year one. We don't take the step that we were hoping for, and it's a regression regression in year two. Are we going to fire that coach after year two, after we've been so bad for so long? Is that what the Dolan family is going to do? I just think that there's so much talk about all of this, but at the same time, the, the skepticism about the job that Tom Thibodeau can do and has done is warranted. I mean, this this is a guy who came in, and a, a lot of credit to him for the way that he handled last season, but the results had not been there in his stop in Minnesota toward the tail end with, with him in Chicago. I mean, I think it was reasonable to be skeptic, you know, skeptical of bringing him in and the success that he would have with the Knicks, and I, I was a bit surprised at how well that they played in, in year one with him last year. But, you know... They, they are trying to play a, a different style of basketball, and, and it, it fits some of their roster. It, it does with the way that they're trying to play. But I'm not 100% sure that's where basketball is headed at times, and, and they're playing to, to the strengths of the guys, but also to fit his system. And it's, I, I'm, I'm just skeptical about where it ends up and, and whether it works long term. I'm just not so sure I'm there. Yeah, I think that the Cam Reddish trade kind of highlights the disconnect between Thibodeau and the front office because you're not giving up an asset for a guy that doesn't play. You know, yep. no, no team does that. And you kind of, 
I guess you knew what you were getting out of Tom Thibodeau when you hire him, but the question is, well, did you just hire him to get you from a bottom-feeding team to, you know, a respectable franchise, and that's when you make the next move. That's when you get the guy that you want, and you, you, you develop those young players. You know, I think that Thibodeau has made the Knicks a, you know, not a disaster of a franchise because they had lost so much respect. I mean, you would mention the Knicks and you would laugh, you know, because they just hadn't been relevant since Carmelo Anthony played, you know, and that's, (laughs) that didn't exactly work out either. So Thibodeau gets you back on the map, right? And at the end of the day, Madison Square Garden, New York City, that's a destination, right? And you weren't getting that out of the free agents. You know, you missed on LeBron when he went to Miami and D-Wade and Chris, you know, that didn't work out. And you get your Carmelo Anthony, Amari Stoudemire, but that's that's been it since then. So by putting the Knicks back on the map, I think Tom Thibodeau's already done his job. <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't be shocked if he got fired, if they finished below 500, if he doesn't play Cam Reddish, and you don't really know what the future holds for guys like Emmanuel Quickly, for Obi Toppin. I mean, you don't just take a guy eighth overall to see him, you know, relinquish to the bench when your team's not good it doesn't make sense when you're kind of out of it to not try and get those guys reps you know and that's what you knew you were getting out of Tom Thibodeau I think it's fair I I, I think the criticism is fair and it's a fascinating offseason coming up for the Knicks and see if they can turn things around a little bit to add some more evidence to the case file and, and see if they can't make a, uh, a statement for Tom Thibodeau to stay, but it's it's an uphill battle in my opinion. It's just it's going to be tough, and and the expectations were so high, and we know the way that the Knicks organization runs and, and how aggressive that they are in, in making certain reactions and decisions over the course uh, of James Dolan's tenure as the owner, and we'll see how much support that he has from the rest of the organization and ownership and otherwise it's it's a fascinating topic as we come up on the two o'clock hour here in los angeles the five o'clock hour back east nick deluca jack roach here with you as uh radio row rolls on here on a friday we appreciate you spending some time with us as your weekend kicks off we uh have covered a lot of ground talking about the the NBA and we'll, we'll get to some of that but I want to return to the Super Bowl at least just a, a little bit here before we we head to a break uh, Super Bowl 56 you've got the Bengals you've got the Rams and we've dissected this thing any number of ways throughout day one and, and into day two but I'm fascinated in, in listening to so many different perspectives on all of this and I did some reading coming into the show today and there were a couple of of coaches who were polled in the athletic talking about what they expect coordinators defensive coordinators for this game and the first entry was that the Rams should win in a blowout the second one was the Rams probably should win in a blowout but I'm not 100% convinced that Matthew Stafford is, is up to that caliber. And Joe Burrow, if this thing is in the balance, is going to take it. I mean, he's that type of player. 
and then another that was like, I, I have no understanding of, of how to read this game, and that's a little bit where I'm at at the moment. I think that's where we all are, and to be honest, the dialogue, I, I mentioned this during our interview with JJ, you know, thanks for coming on, um, he mentioned how it doesn't make sense on paper how the Bengals win this game, but I said that same thing about all the other games they played. I was in studio with Mike Legan ahead of the Titans-Bengals game, and I go to him, hey, are the Titans a lock to win this game or not? You know, and I uh, <laughs> I ended up taking the Titans, and that didn't work. And, you know, I've said the same thing for each of these Bengals matchups, and I would be upset if this is the one where uh, I'm actually right. But, listen, the Rams roster is so talented. We know this, and Matthew Stafford has seemed to be that veteran guy that's pulled it all together, but... You know, this Bengals team just has momentum on their side. They've played well throughout the playoffs, and Joe Burrow has quietly become the coolest guy in football. So, you know, it doesn't make sense. I can't give you a rational explanation, but, man, I like this Bengals team. Yeah, and and that's really what J.J. was talking about. I haven't heard anybody get into, you know, how exactly – the Bengals are going to beat the Rams. We just feel like it's going to happen or we want it to happen. We're rooting for that outcome. And and your brain says the same thing. I mean, I, I do think the Rams are the better team. I, I, I don't think there is any question about that. They pushed all their chips to the middle of the table with the trade that they made, Goff out, Stafford in. To, to bring in Odell Beckham Jr., to bring in Von Miller midseason, giving up second and third round picks. I mean, they don't have a first round pick uh, until uh, it's something ridiculous. It's like 2025. I mean, they, they are just not doing any of that. They're not drafting anybody. And they are really being aggressive, going all in. And that's something that you can respect about the way that they are running their organization. But it, it just feels like they are taking the risk they are going in and, and really trying to, to win the Super Bowl that was the mindset coming in uh you know to the season and Cincinnati while here feels they had a schedule you're, you're not 100 percent clear about how they even got here and uh you know I, I'm not 100 percent sure that they're they're quite there I'm leading Rams right now but We'll see throughout the week here how it goes. Yeah, it's just the head versus heart thing. You know, like my brain tells me the Rams and my heart tells me the Bengals. I've, <laughs> it's, it's been that way throughout the playoffs. I mean, I, I also saw something similar to that when it came to the Rams versus Patriots, or uh, not Patriots, Buccaneers, yeah. right? Because it was like everything makes sense. You've got, you know, Jalen Ramsey, you've got Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, whatever. And then you're like, all right, so why would you take the Bucks? Well, they're playing against Tom Brady, you know, so... It's the head versus heart thing, and I, I like, I mean, I really hope the Bengals win. I really hope the Bengals win. <laughs> You're rooting for the Bengals this weekend? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, why would I, as someone that doesn't have, you know, any stake in it, Yeah. why would you not root for the underdog? Why would you not root for the guy, the comeback player of the year, the guy who, you know, has become this sensation, you know? I mean... Listen, throughout the whole season, we're talking about Justin Herbert's still a better player than Joe Burrow. You know, I'd rather have Lamar Jackson than Joe Burrow. And, you know, here we are, Super Bowl weekend, two days out, and he's, you know, all the lights are on him. I mean, he's the biggest name in this game right now where you've got Cooper Cup, the offensive player of the year, 
you've got Odell Beckham. I mean, he's been around for a while, and he's been kind of this, you know, magnet, this media magnet wherever he goes. I mean, there are always mics in his face, but Joe Burrow is the guy that we're talking about. So, I don't know. I like the Bengals. We'll have to get into the picks tomorrow, but I'll hold off on mine for right now. <laughs> I'm just be, talking about the heart. My, my, my feet will be placed toward the fire tomorrow, and that's when I'm really going to have to make a determination. Right now, I'll, I'll lay off of it at least for a little bit. And I, I like that you, you brought this up at least preliminarily, and we should probably talk about this a little bit more because mm-hmm. we haven't touched on it. Of course, it, it happening last night, but the, the reaction to the NFL honors that was held yesterday here in Los Angeles, announcing any number of awards, primarily Aaron Rodgers as the league MVP for a fourth time in his NFL career, a guy who has been so good for so long, a storied career for Rodgers, especially in a year that was filled with so much turmoil. I mean, you didn't know whether Rodgers was even going to show up in Green Bay, whether he was going to come back, all that went on in that offseason, and then to come in and deliver the type of season that he did. And, and it was really a back-and-forth situation where what what the heck happened at the end of it because it was going so well and he had such a great year. And, of course, this is a regular season award to so the postseason not taken into account. But to see that crash landing that they had in, in the divisional round against San Francisco losing on the road in, in the snowstorm to Jimmy Garoppolo, who did not play well in that game, and Rodgers just absolutely shut down along with the rest of that Packers offense. And I'm of the mindset that Aaron Rodgers was deserving of that MVP award. You know, he had a really good year, but there is a really strong case for Joe Burrow. I, I really think that there was a really strong case for Joe Burrow and not somebody who was talked about a ton. I mean, there were, were a couple of guys who were in the fold there, but I, I think that Joe Burrow might be the most valuable player in the NFL. I mean, with what he has meant to the Bengals this year, I don't I don't think that's ridiculous. Now, listen, I was going to say, I think that Tom Brady deserved it. <laughs> no, but obviously I'm biased. But listen, I think that he's got so many weapons around him, though. And that's that's the thing. It's what is the award? Is it the most valuable guy or is it the guy that had the best season? You know, because then you could start talking about running backs if you're talking about, you know, who had the best season. But when it's most valuable, you got to have the quarterback, right? I like Tom Brady, but whatever. Father time wins. He can do his thing. Joe Burrow. I mean, listen, they go from a four-win team to a Super Bowl team. And that's because of Joe Burrow. And obviously that's because of Jamar Chase, too. But, wow, I actually hadn't really considered that. I just don't know if he put up the same. I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I feel like it was Rogers' award, you know? And, and these awards are somewhat media-driven, somewhat narrative-driven, and I think that was on Rogers' side this year. But joined by our producer, Mike Messina, back from the Bengals' availability. All right, so he's back. Um how was Joe Burrow? How was Joe Burrow? Oh, I want to hear. Yeah, <laughs> this is perfect. There he is. He's back. All right. Got to get him in here. All right. How are we doing, Mike? Am I 
Let's see. He's on. Can we hear him? Yeah, can you hear yeah, me? Oh, he sounds awesome. great. Great. Well, oh. f first off, let me start. It was excruciatingly hot out there, and it was all outside. I thought it was going to be inside of a gym or something like that. But the I question, think it's cold in here. It's chilly in here. i got to yeah. be honest. I'm jealous of your long sleeve shirt. Oh. I asked every player about the preparation going into a Super Bowl game compared to going into a regular season game, and all the players said that there's no change for them. There's no change mentally for them. They take every game, game by game, like it's their Super Bowl from week one to week 17 to the actual Super Bowl. So every single player is on board with the mindset they had all year. Go take it play by play, play call by play call, game by game, and that's how they're going to win this game. Not surprised to hear that. You know, I think that's always the, the challenge for these types of games to make it normal mm -hmm. because there's so much that goes into the rest of this radio row, the media availability, two weeks leading up to the game and everybody asking you for tickets or, hey, can you do this story? You know, everybody wants to come in and, and cover this game from everywhere. I mean, it's not even, you know, just from across the United States, but internationally. I mean, the attention that is on this game, that's no secret to anybody. But I think it can be overwhelming, and, and we'll get to this. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, but, you know, how, how do the players handle it? How does we, we, Sean McVay handle it? We, we had question about that with the way things went in the, you know, NFC championship game for them. And, and I'm, not, I'm not surprised to hear that at all because, you know, that's, that's the goal. I think it's easier said than done. Oh, of course. And something else I asked most of the players about is Joe Burrow's leadership coming back from that brutal knee injury last season, leading the team to a Super Bowl this year. And Joe Mixon said that he's the best leader he's ever been with, he's ever worked with. And I, forget, I think it was Jamar Chase who said Joe Franchise. That's what they call him in the locker room. And that, that kind of just sums up what Joe Burrow means to this team, to the organization, and really the reason why they're in this position right now. And obviously never winning the Super Bowl, huge for the city of Cincinnati. And the players love Joe love his atmosphere, love the energy he brings to the locker room, and they couldn't ask for anything better, they said. Well, you, you might have missed it just on the tail end, but I was saying that I think Joe Burrow should have been given more consideration for the MVP. And I I'm not, that. I'm not 100% sure that he should have won it. I'm not quite on that level right now. I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's There's so much variability with how things go on, and I would argue that certainly the Bengals have – a weaker roster and it comes back to how do you determine what what makes somebody most valuable i would say that in part you are helped by having a, a roster that's not as strong i mean i think that's important in some respect and, and the packers had a better roster I, mean, I think they had a really good team and it's also hard to not be swayed by the postseason despite it being a regular season award and the voting was closed out it's not like that has any impact whatsoever but just to see the, the fashion in which the, the Packers were bounced. I think Joe Burrow should have gotten more consideration. I think that's more than fair. And, you know, I, I'm not quite ready to say that Rodgers was undeserving of that award, but I, I think Burrow certainly deserved more, more of a, a discussion surrounding his candidacy. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I also think Tom Brady should have gotten more votes than he got. I agree Aaron Rodgers was the MVP of this league, but I believe Tom Brady got 11 votes, was yeah. it? Yeah, I, I think he should have gotten way more than that and another reporter asked a question today to Jamar Chase saying how will Jamar Chase get around Jalen Ramsey and how will Jalen Ramsey cover Jamar Chase and he had a little giggle smiled and said I'm not answering that question next so it was kind of funny so that that's going to be a great matchup to watch coming on and I 
We all talked about it yesterday. That's the matchup to watch right there, Jamar Chase, Jalen Ramsey, because you have to imagine they're going to be going up against each other. Yeah, they, they certainly are, and that is a fascinating aspect of this just because of how good Jalen Ramsey has been for a long time and how good Jamar Chase has been since bursting onto the scene. And I think that Jalen Ramsey has a, a, an edge in this matchup because of his length, because of the ability to be physical with other receivers. I think that's a challenge for a lot of defensive backs just because they're not as physically gifted. And I think that that's something that Jalen Ramsey brings to the table just from, you know, he's he's a physical specimen for the corner position. I mean, he's 6'5 and has that type of speed to, to close out and to be able to make those plays. And that's why he's regarded as such a great player. But, you know, Jamar Chase has just burned everybody. There's, there's nobody who's been able to guard Jamar Chase. He's a rookie. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you feel like he's going to hit the wall or there's going to be something that's going to – somebody's going to figure him out to be able to neutralize him. And even Kansas City, who went in to that AFC Championship game saying, we know what he was able to do against us in Week 17, and he led them to a win, had 250, almost 300 yards receiving. He, he out-received Patrick Mahomes throwing the football. So – you knew that the emphasis for the Chiefs was going to be to try and take him away. They really did that for the most part in the first half, and yet in the second half he really got going and they had no answer. It just seems like that Cincinnati is able to force-feed Jamar Chase the football whenever they want to, and there isn't a ton that teams are able to do to stop it. And you would think by now there would be some answer on this is how you're going to approach trying to shut down Jamar Chase nobody's come up with it yet. And look, you, they double-teamed Jamar Chase, but then you have the combo of T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd on either side of Jamar Chase, and you can run the ball at the middle with Joe Mixon. So if you're trying to take the ball out of Jamar Chase's hands, sure, you can, but they have three more lethal weapons that can get that ball downfield, short-yarded situations, third and short, and they're able to get that first down, especially Joe Mixon. He is a smaller guy, but a running back can get through any hole possible. He's fast, and he can beat that defense very quickly. Nick, I have a question for you. Do you think um, lost the question. I gotta be honest with you. Gotta be honest with you. Slipped right out of my mind. Well, I don't know. I don't think very often, so, you know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, That's there you go. It's funny, but uh, no worries. Uh, Got it. Okay. Yep. Sure. Here we go. The combo with Odell and Eli Apple. What do you expect going into Sunday with that combination? P- possibly going up against one another right there. Well, I don't know that he's going to shadow Odell because of what Cooper Cup brings. And that is such an interesting dynamic for the Bengals to have to deal with trying to figure out how to attack this, this Rams offense. Because Cooper Cup, in a lot of ways, is used like an extra tight end almost. And that's another big story here coming in to the Super Bowl on Sunday. Tyler Higby, the Rams' primary tight end, has been ruled out. So he will not play on Sunday. And that's going to be at least figures to be somewhat of a factor. He's not that, you know, mainstay option. And you feel like it's not something that the Rams' offense revolves around. But it is something worth paying attention to, especially for those looking for other weapons, other options on prop bets otherwise. But um, I don't expect those two to be matched up as often as Ramsey and Chase will. I think Ramsey's going to shadow Jamar Chase. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be what happens from Cincinnati's perspective defensively because they'll have so much to worry about. But Cooper Cup does such a great job of creating that space. It's hard to really 
jam him, to get a read on him at the line of scrimmage because of the way that he is deployed in the Rams' offense. He plays so close to the line of scrimmage, you, you really lose him in the fold, and he can break in, he can break out, he's playing in the slot. It's, it's difficult for defenses to really key on him in that way, and I think that's, in a roundabout way, something that Cincinnati does a really good job of in utilizing Jamar Chase and moving him around to different spots. But I think that when matched up, Eli Apple is obviously at a disadvantage, and that's something that the Bengals are going to have to be paying attention to. But you know what? The the Bengals were at at a really big disadvantage against Kansas City, and they were able to shut them down in the second half. And I think there's a lot of talk about whether it was the job that Cincinnati was able to do, whether it was Kansas City just ran out of gas, whatever the heck that was. They were shell-shocked, whatever the case may be. They just shot themselves in the foot. But I'm not so sure that I'm ready to not give credit to Cincinnati's defense. It was a really impressive performance. So, you know, that's a matchup to watch. It's a matchup to key on. But I think it's really going to come down to Cincinnati's ability to get a pass rush because we know that their secondary is not the, the best in the NFL. And can those guys, Hendrickson, Hubbard, get after Matthew Stafford and make him uncomfortable? In the same way we feel like there is an expectation the Rams are going to do with Joe Burrow because of the offensive line that Cincinnati has. That, to me, is going to be the key for Cincinnati defensively and mitigate some of the playmaking ability of Odell, of Cooper Cup, of the rest of the weapons that Los Angeles is going to be able to deploy because, you know, it's going to be a long day if they're not getting a pass rush because this is not a secondary that's going to be able to sit back there and find a lot of success. What do you think the over-under is on uh, Joe Burrow's sacks? Four. Four. It could be. I feel like it's got to be higher than that. What was it? No uh, way. It can't can be higher than that. His, well, pass, then, his pass attempts is 36 and a half. Attempts, not successful, just attempts. I'm taking over then on that then. What was um, in Tennessee? He got sacked nine times. Nine. That nine yeah, times? Yeah, but even Come on. so, they're going to get the ball out more quickly. I think they did a very good job of adjusting the game plan with the way that they were figuring things out to – be better against Kansas City, who's got maybe not as good a pass rush as Tennessee, but certainly a a pass rush that is respectable. I mean, they're able to get after you, Chris Jones, and, and, you know, those guys up front, Frank Clark. I'm just not sure that this is that same type of deal. I I don't think that they are going to go in ill-prepared again to – be able to to just get run over again. I I don't feel like that's going to be the case. I have a hard time believing they're going to up nine, going to give up nine sacks. No, I'm not I, saying I like, it's not. Like I I like what the Rams bring to the table up front. How can you not? I mean Floyd, Von Miller, Aaron Donald. It's as good a front as you're going to get in the NFL. But they're going to make adjustments and be in a space where they're not going to get sacked five or six times. I think Joe Burrow is going to be better about getting the ball out, too. Absolutely. But listen, there's only so much preparation you can do. There are only so many adjustments you can make when you've got guys of that caliber coming at you, you know? Yeah, but a lot of times it's on protection, too. You know, you got to be able, as a quarterback, to understand what's going on. And and I would expect, and and this was uh, something that had been paid a lot of attention to by any number of sources, 
expecting the Ram, the Rams, the Bengals to combat some of these Rams pass rush, you know, they're going to want to go empty. They're going to try and find certain ways to get guys the, the football quickly. And it's going to be instead of trying to, to run the football necessarily, it's a swing pass to Joe Mixon. It's those types of things. It's as, you know, Greg Cosell mentioned to us yesterday that outside zone run to try and get the defensive line for the Rams moving laterally and not upfield, not attacking to try and mitigate some of that pass rush. And it's been shown that as great a player as Aaron Donald is, when you put him in conflict, when you're able to run at him, you know, it, it minimizes his effectiveness inside. I think that's got to be a primary, uh, a primary focus for Cincinnati going into this game. And it sounds counterintuitive, but it's, it's the body blows. It's the continued, we're going to make Aaron Donald make a tackle. We're going to make him be the primary focus defensively. We're going to be more physical with him and, and hopefully for Cincinnati, wear him down over the course of the game so that when it comes time that the Bengals have to open it up and throw the football and, and really try and force feed Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd on the perimeter, you're in a situation where Aaron Donald isn't getting after you as significantly as he would otherwise. Absolutely. But when you increase focus on him, when you put more attention on him, I feel like that opens it up for a guy like Von Miller to have a big-time game, right? And when you're changing game plan, that just makes me wonder, are we going to see those deep passes to chase that we've seen throughout the playoffs? You know, are we going to see more of a shorter approach to them? And I, to be honest, I'm, I'm just not, I guess, back to JJ's point. On paper, I, I feel like the Rams win this matchup, right? I, I just feel like everything that we're talking about now makes me think Rams. But listen, I love the Bengals. Jack Roach loves the Bengals, and that's it. Okay, that's that's fair. I know that you love the Bengals. I just we'll see if they win. I, I'm not quite there yet. Might have just tipped my pick. I don't. I don't know. No, you don't have to. I. I won't make it right now, but it's just it's going to be an uphill battle for them, in, in my opinion. I think they're going to have to do a lot of those things that, that Greg talked about in just making sure that they are smart with the way that they manage what is a really good Rams pass rush. And, and I do think they're going to come away with a better game plan, though. That's That, to me, is, is for sure. And I would not expect the Bengals to allow something on the order of nine sacks. I mean, I don't think it's going to be something ridiculous like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how Zach Taylor approaches this game because, listen, last year we were having talks about is he still going to be the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, and here we are as, like, a coach of the year candidate. Who, who ended up winning that? Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel, okay, former Patriot. Love yeah. Mike Vrabel. Another guy that got ran over oh by the Bengals. Oh, my gosh, yeah. He got <laughs> run over by the Bengals, and, and that, was, that was the extent of it. Mike Vrabel with some... There was some question about him, too, winning the Coach of the Year. Yeah, I mean, listen. They, Zach Taylor, a guy who, who certainly was, was deserving. Yeah, I mean, I was so shocked. And the reason why I picked them over the Bengals coming into their matchup was how well they were able to manage without Derrick Henry. I mean, we saw him earlier today. He is massive. I mean, I want to say he looks even bigger in person than on TV and do you remember the picture of Derrick Henry standing next to Mark Ingram? Yeah. That is like, he made him look like a little kid. We're talking about a former Heisman winner, you know, two former Heisman winners. So I was shocked that they were able to manage as well as they did without the most 
you know, arguably the most dominant player in the NFL. You get him back going into the playoffs, and the Bengals still won that game. So I just I find it hard to bet against Joe Burrow. I find it hard to bet against Zach Taylor and co. I don't. I don't find it that hard. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see on Sunday, and, and only time will tell. I mean, I, they, they have been really impressive throughout this playoff run. I'm just not so sure that the, the luck won't run out at some point. It just feels like they're not quite there yet. And it's not to say they won't get there or won't be there at some point. I just has that feeling to me that they, they have not gone to the extent that the Rams have been going to throughout this offseason to really push all their chips to the middle of the table to take that risk to go all in and and to bring in these veterans that right now I think give the Rams the edge. So what kind of move would you have wanted to see the Bengals make? Like where do they need that help the most other than the you know the offensive line of course? Well I, I don't even know if it's a criticism because if you pull the Bengals front office and Zach Taylor honestly I don't think the expectations were that this team was going to be in the Super Bowl. I don't think if you really sit back and, and ask them to be, you know, completely honest, you, you know, under oath or put them on a lie detector here, that they would tell you that we, we expected to be in the Super Bowl. You hope. And for them, this has certainly been best case scenario. But there's no way that they looked at their offensive line and said, yeah, we're definitely a finished product. They look at their secondary and, you know, we definitely feel great about where we are at the moment. And there was certainly seri- you know, certainly serious concerns about Joe Burrow's health. Like, how is he going to come back? You forget loss and all this shuffle. Like, he's a second-year quarterback. Where's the development? Like, that's what you're hoping to see. And, yeah, he was a little bit older coming in to the league as, as a guy who transferred. But you're just hoping that he's going to prove himself as a franchise guy in year two. I mean, that, that would have been a winning formula winning season for the Bengals regardless of what you know outcome you would have had I think the Bengals at the beginning of the year would have signed up to be in a spot where the the Chargers were the Chargers were on the last game of the season a chance to get into the postseason where your quarterback plays like a stud and and he proves that he is the franchise guy and and you solve that and you know that he can compete with with the rest of the juggernauts in the AFC I think the Bengals at the beginning of this year, if you asked him, would have said, all right, we can call it a year. That's that's what we wanted to see, minimum. right? That's We can call that a success. And they got that. And then they win their division. And then they, they upset and then, Tennessee. And then they beat <laughs> Kansas City on the road. And now they're in the Super Bowl. So I, I just, it's not about necessarily a criticism or saying that they should have done this. Because I don't think that's smart either. Like, for them to go in at the beginning of this year and try and do what the Rams did. Forget the trade of the quarterback, obviously. They had more confidence than the Rams did with Goff. But, you know, how about go in and try and trade for Von Miller? No, I don't think that makes sense for them, right? Can they give up a second and a third-round pick on their timeline thinking that next year was going to be maybe the year or the year after to really build with Joe Burrow on his rookie contract for another couple and, and put those pieces around offensive line defensively in the secondary no I don't think that would have been a smart way to go about it maybe they would have said let's invest in another weapon invest in in some more protection to make sure that he is in in the best possible place to succeed but I don't think there would have been any criticism of the Bengals approach 
to this offseason about how they went about filling out their roster, I think they're just surprised that they are in the spot that they're in right now, if we're being completely honest with you, because you didn't see the Bengals in this game. I didn't see the Bengals in this game. I don't think anybody really expected that that was going to be a thing, and yet, you know, it, it ended up that way. So that, to me, is is kind of how things have unfolded. Great. Jack Roach, nice Nick DeLuca, Jack Roach, Mike Messina here with you from Radio Row here in Los Angeles, still trying to work out who's going to be coming and going here on Table 44 here at the Los Angeles Convention Center, and word is it's going to be Brandon Marshall shortly. So that an awesome get in our props to Mike Messina for yanking that guy in because he's going to be another really interesting conversation to get his perspective on this game and, and all of the things that he can add as, as we preview that Jalen Ramsey and Eli Apple matchup and how teams go about defending Cooper Cup, all of those things included. But, you know, that, that to me is the overarching you know, message coming into this game. I just, it's, it's so, such a different type of outlook for these two teams going into this season. I just don't know that the Bengals expected to be here. And that doesn't mean they can't go out and win. I'm just of the mindset that they, they weren't going to make those types of moves. It wouldn't have made sense. You don't want to tie yourself up down the line salary cap-wise for an aging veteran. You know, where's Von Miller going to be in two years, right? Do you really want to, to push the envelope giving up second and third round picks when you can get guys as you build controllable otherwise to really give you those types of pieces where, you know, you're going all in if you're the Rams because you know you've made that move. I, I'm not being critical of the Bengals. I just think it's more of, of where they thought they were at the time and, Cincinnati surprised themselves. But here's the reality, Nick. Those and-thens that you mentioned before happened, right? So Sunday is going to come. They're going to win or they're going to lose, right? Yeah. But regardless of what happens, they still have holes to plug, most notably with the offensive line. But listen, secondary needs help. They, they have a lot. I mean, the offense, with the exception of the O-line, I think they've got a lot of weapons that are going to be there for the long haul in those young, talented skill players most notably Jamar Chase. You've got T. Higgins. You've got Joe Mixon, who had you know really a breakout year that I think people have been expecting for a while. It really all came to fruition. But when you still have those holes that need to be addressed, what's the best way for the Bengals to kind of put the tape over those holes? Because you can take the Rams' approach when you get that veteran help, when you make those blockbuster moves. But... I just don't know if the Bengals have those same sorts of assets that they're willing to part ways with. Do you bring in veterans and free agency? Do you address it through the draft? You know, with this Bengals team that has a lot of young options, what do you think is the best way for them to kind of improve this roster, which has made the Super Bowl, which has exceeded expectations, but still has the potential to get a whole lot better? I think it's a combination of both, and, and you try as best you can to evaluate where things are working, where they're not, and then going about you know, those deficiencies and, and strengths, and you figure it out from there. I guess for me, I would say that they are in a pretty good position free agency-wise. they top 10 in the NFL in cap space coming up in this offseason, and that's the other thing that proves to me that they 
were building toward next year and, and kind of surprised themselves that they're in the Super Bowl this year. And that's a great surprise to have and, and no criticism. It's just I, I'm sure that they are ahead of schedule, you know, from an expectations standpoint. And I think winning the playoff game for them against the Raiders was like, that's that's a really good year. You know, gr- great work, really good year. We're going on the road as, you know, the underdog in Tennessee. We'll see how it goes. And, and it, it certainly went all the way to Los Angeles here in, in the Super Bowl. But to me, they would figure to be players in free agency. I, I would imagine that they would go out and try and fill some of those holes in, in free agency if there's a quality guard that they can go after or a quality you know tackle they could use some help on the perimeter on that offensive line and and the same way for a secondary you know secondary piece and it's more just as as Greg I thought outlined for us really well over you know the the couple of minutes that he was was joining us yesterday it's all about team evaluation all about team fit so what are they going to do is really going to be dependent on how they go about evaluating free agents and and whether they feel like they're better off, you know, going out in, in the draft. And there's a number that always sticks out. It's about 30% of free agents end up working. So it's not Ooh. like a, a high percentage way of going about making your team. And even the Rams haven't really done that. They're, they're more through trade guys that, you know, are, are certainly valuable pieces that you know that teams are going to expect a, a big, you know, in some cases a very big return for. And, and that's what the Rams have done. They've, you know, shipped away their draft assets and said we're going to bring in the big guns and and it's worked for them so far at least getting to to this big game and and for you know a second appearance since 2018 i'm just not sure what the Bengals are are going to want to do and and that's really the the heart of the the situation how they approach the offseason but uh offensive line it's it's a great place to be i mean you want to have the the money to do it you've got the draft capital to do it we're going to go out and try and shore up the guard or tackle spot want a a few pieces in the secondary but again they've got that quarterback in place they've got that offense in place to really make things happen yeah and listen we talk about you know as excited as we are for this Sunday game you know we we have to consider what happens beyond it and I think that the Bengals are in a great position you look at the Rams and they don't have a whole lot of assets going forward. You're probably not going to be able to afford Odell Beckham because of the cap situation. He's a free agent, made the most of his opportunity, and you've got some guys going out. So I look at this Rams roster, and I'm concerned about them in the future. Matthew Stafford's not getting any younger. I don't know if you're going to get that same success that you got out of Cooper Cup this year. So Got some movement here. Brandon Marshall. Oh, my goodness. Brandon Marshall joining the show here on One on One. Brandon, we, we appreciate you taking some time. How are you? I like the Super Bowl right oh, yeah, by the yeah. way. You don't have to bring it, man. It's a <laughs> Super Bowl weekend. I want to show myself oh my off you know, the hard work and the dedication. You know, I mean, if you want to check it out, go ahead and check it out. Do you mind if I ask, uh, do you know how many diamonds are in that thing? You know what they told us? I forgot, to be honest with you. I forgot. So, you know, I got to go back and look at the little certificate. The reason why I even ask is because I remember the Patriots, when they had that 28-3, to three, yeah. they put 328 diamonds in, in the they, ring. Yes. That's fire. <laughs> so I don't know if there are like 329 that's in that one. That's fire. No, no way. I think it's not. Definitely. I'm not sure how much. Wow, that thing is beautiful. Thanks, man. 
appreciate it. Congratulations. Thank so you were a five-year member of the Denver Broncos, of course, winning in Super Bowl 50. What sticks out to you the most? Being back here for Super Bowl week, having gone through that experience, playing with Peyton Manning in, in his final ride, and his final game even, yeah. you know, what, what jumps out to you about winning the Super Bowl? It's, it's something you dream of as a kid. What was that yeah. experience like? Um, you know, the, the whole experience. And to be honest, you know, I actually just did an interview with, uh, with Vernon Davis. He said, you know, that we dream of, of playing the Super Bowl. I never had that dream. I only I only dreamed of playing in the NFL yeah. and competing at the highest level. So going to the Super Bowl was like a bonus. It was almost like a, it was, it was far-fetched. Right? I never even thought it was, it was obtainable. Um, so the first time we went, you know, we lost against Seattle, and I was on the sideline. I, I remember I, I was sitting, standing next to, to Champ Bailey, and I said, yo, yo, how many times have you been to the Super Bowl? And he said, it's my first time. I said, how many years have you played? He said, 14. I was like, that's crazy because – it's my second year. It's my first time, and I'm already going. You know, so going to the Super Bowl is is probably one of the most exhilarating feelings you can have. Not only that is the way we went both times. We beat Tom Brady both times to go to the Super Bowl. Right, the goat. You look at Tom Brady like, oh, this this crazy figurehead. So we beat him to go to the Super Bowl, and the second time we went, um, it was just magical. It was it was it was like a movie. It was surreal. It was. A lot of stuff was in slow-mo almost, you know, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. You were able to play in the Super Bowl as a 26-year-old, yeah. and you look at this Bengals team that has a lot of youth, yeah. most notably Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, two younger guys. I guess for you, and I understand it's not year one or two when you played, but I guess does that mentality change for them as guys that haven't really been in the playoffs before you know is that difficult for a younger guy a rookie second year guy to play on the biggest stage um i think it can be because so you know the first time we went we got blown out it was a lot of our first time playing in the super bowl you know peyton was the only one really with experience maybe uh west welker played in as well but we didn't handle that week properly you know it was just it was just a lot it was, it was a new york bright lights it was just a lot going on but the second time we went we had we had been there Right, we already had been there, so um, most of our guys had experience. So I think we was able to take it all in, right? Enjoy the experience, but just kind of just calm ourselves and understand the assignment. Like, okay, this is you know who we're playing. This is the game plan. This is what we got to do to come out on top. So I think it, it does matter. And so it's crazy because all throughout the playoffs, I'm like, well, Bengals don't have experience. Bengals don't have experience. It hasn't mattered, right? <laughs> but we'll see if it matters uh, on Sunday. I was wondering what you've seen from Cincinnati in particular as a defensive guy. I mean, you're, you're used to, to going through the meetings, the defensive team, your, your game planning and trying to attack the weapons that other teams have. And Jamar Chase as a rookie, a guy who's had almost unprecedented success. I mean, guys don't just walk into the NFL and play the way that he has throughout the duration of this season. Is there a way in your estimation that the Rams are going to be able to take him away or at least limit him? Because it seems like Cincinnati is doing an excellent job of, regardless of what opposing defenses are doing, he's getting involved anyway. Yeah, I mean, um, it's crazy because he, you know, Joe Burrow got sacked nine times against the Titans, and they still won the game. Yeah. Right? I think it all starts with the trenches. If the Rams could put pressure, and the Rams' front is special, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Bob Miller, if they could really get to Joe Burrow, I think that is the best neutralizer for Jamar Chase. Now, do the Rams have good DBs? Absolutely. You know, Jalen Ramsey is all world. But when you put that pressure on Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase doesn't have time to necessarily get in into his route, 
I think, you know, because Burrow's on the move, I think that's the best way they can win. Now, Jamar Chase is a great deep threat, right? So, you know, whether you want to do a safety roll, a safety over the top, and cover T. Higgins and, and uh, Tyler Boyd, you know, one-on-one, or, or do some type of zone where you got to put somebody over the top of Jamar Chase because he is special. Now, a key player for this Rams team has been Aaron Donald, who they yeah. acquired through trade. And this <laughs> may be a bit of a throwback. Von Miller. Von Miller. Did I speak? Von Miller. Thank you for correcting me. Former teammate of Brandon Marshall. (laughs) I'm actually glad I misspoke because the two names, Aaron Donald and Von Miller, remind me when you on Twitter joked about Brandon Marshall, Brandon Marshall. um, I'm just curious what that was like, kind of hearing your name, not sure if it's your name, his name. It it happens to this day. Yeah? To this day. (laughs) To to this day. I'm not even playing football right now, and it still happens. Um, you know, I get recognized, right? Or my name gets, obviously my name gets recognized because mm-hmm. he's doing great things on TV. Um, some people know the, the distinction, but some people don't. So, you know, I just tried to have fun with it. I remember I was on my couch watching, uh, I think he was playing with the Bears at the time, watching Monday Night Football. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got the article up yeah, about you joking I was on literally just looking. I was like, okay, I'm going to have fun with this. I had nothing to do, uh-huh. but I was just sitting in it. It was a dark room with a TV, and I just started going crazy on Twitter, and it was the funniest time. Uh, I've had on Twitter, man. It was great. You know, it happens a lot, but I just kind of laugh it off, to be honest with you. Uh, Brandon's actually a great guy. I know him. You know, uh, he's, he's a great guy, special guy. So, you know, it kind of just helps elevate my name, too. So I, I'm not mad at it. He's successful. Does your experience with the Brandon Marshall, the Brandon Marshall connection, give you greater experience, greater respect for what Josh Allen was able to do to Josh Allen this oh, year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He killed Josh Allen, which is what exactly. Well, the Jags, Josh Allen killed the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, which was wild. Um, so, yeah, you know, those connections, those names, it is funny. There you have it. That's, that, that is, I like that. So, um, we, we previewed some of this stuff, and, and we've been talking Super Bowl, obviously, a, a great experience for you to be able to, to come back and, and experience this. What has Radio Row been like for you getting an opportunity to, to talk to any number of outlets and, and really outline your experience? I'd imagine it was a lot of fun, you know, yeah. walking down memory lane, thinking about the time that, that you were world champs. Yeah, it's a lot of fun because, you know, just coming out in our, our, on our suits, right? We had our sweatsuits, the white sweatsuits. And then you had the, the, I forgot what that is called because you have the podiums. Certain players get on the podium, right? That's what Marshawn Lynch most famously said. I'm not here. Just like I think that's what he said, right? Yeah. I'm just here, so I, I don't, get here so I don't get fined. You know, so, man, the Super Bowl is, I'm going to be honest, I miss the game. I miss it wholeheartedly. And being able to reach that pinnacle in sports, which the greatest game, because every other, what, every other sport, they have a series, okay? The greatest game, the most watched is the Super Bowl. So being able to relive those memories and those moments, uh, everything comes back and, you know, it's more of those things I, you know, not necessarily be sad that it's over, but be happy that it happened. Yeah. You know? As a guy that holds that ring, yeah. what piece of advice would you have, you know, for a player sitting right here on how to approach this game? Uh, you know, I would say, just, and as cliche as it sounds, it's true. You got to treat it like any other game, even though it's not. Okay. The intensity is going to be you know, higher. Your, your heart's going to be beating faster. I remember I was in good shape, but I feel like the first quarter, I was tired. <laughs> I was really tired, and I don't know why, but probably because all the lights and all the adrenaline, and it was like Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. So try to attack it like it's every other game. Prepare the same, if not more. Um, don't overthink it, though. You know, you can't overthink it, man. You just got to go out there and play the game. So 
enjoy all the amenities, enjoy everything that they give you guys. But you got to lock in, man. At, at night, lock in, look at your playbook, watch film, get your mind right. Guy who had a lot of success in the linebacker position, is there somebody in the game right now at that spot that really impresses you? Uh, yeah, man, I like Logan Wilson. I think he's a, 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 a really outstanding player. He's athletic. Um, he's quick, man. He's a, he's a ball hawk as well. I, I think he has really good instincts. Just watching him, I know he came out of Wyoming, and, and uh, I'm a guy that, first of all, I've watched the NFL draft since I was a kid, yeah. not even knowing anybody, right? So I still watch the draft. And so the fact that I know I knew who Logan Wilson was and where he came out because I just pay attention that much. So Logan, I think he'll be a, a spectacular player moving forward in his, in his, in his career, man. He's, he's special. So I think Logan could be uh, an X-factor for the Bengals. Wrapping up here with former Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall. Brandon, I'll get you, you know, out of here uh, on this one. What is next for you? Is there a desire to continue to play? What What are the opportunities? What are you looking yeah. forward to in the future? I mean, you know, if I could play, I would love to. You know, last year I had two workouts with one with the 49ers and one with the Bears, and my agent was fielding calls from you know a, a few teams last year. Just Nobody just brought me in, so mm. uh, except the Niners and the Bears in the springtime, and, and that's okay. You know, uh, whatever's for me is for me. So, you know, I'm still trying to figure that out. You know, what what, what my next path is. I, I do enjoy media. I love radio. I love doing TV. I've been doing a Raiders pregame show in Las Vegas. I truly enjoy that. Um, there's nothing like playing the game, but you know, if it's my time to be done, then it's my time. So, uh, you know, maybe I'll move more in the media. We'll see how that goes. Well, I think you, you'd certainly have a future in it, and we appreciate you taking some time. What, whatever the uh, future may hold for you, certainly good luck with that. Brandon Marshall, Broncos linebacker, appreciate you taking some time. Appreciate that. One-on-one -on -one continues here live on YouTube you know, from the Los, Van Los Angeles Convention Center as we wrap up here with former Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall. I mean, a great guy to talk to and awesome to get that insight from him just managing the emotions of a Super Bowl I mean that's such a huge factor in all of this that I think sometimes gets overlooked because you know you're talking about the matchup you're talking about you know who, who's blocking this guy or how are the the Bengals going to handle the Rams pass rush and all uh, all of the stuff that goes into it and yet you know it's about managing the emotion of the game. Yeah, I was, I mean, I just think we're so lucky to hear from a guy who is sporting the ring that, yeah. you know, you know, that was so cool seeing that right in front of our face. A guy who has experience, you know, a guy who's been there, has won, played with some elite talent. I mean, not everyone gets to play with Peyton Manning, despite, you know, being around all those years. Um I just think that we're lucky to be able to speak with someone. I thought it was so funny. It's sitting right here. I mean, I kind of reached out and put it on. But, um, I mean, listen, you look at Matthew Stafford, right, a guy that wasn't able to really win much of anything in Detroit, didn't have that much playoff experience. And then you look at, you know, a somewhat inexperienced Bengals team. Yeah. And to have those proven winners kind of – you know, either on your team or giving you that kind of advice. I mean, that's just invaluable to either team. So awesome to be able to hear from a guy who's played on the high stage. Yeah, and, and I think that experience is so crucial, and it's something that probably goes a little bit undervalued in this type of situation, and it's, it's very different. You know, there's going to be a lot of first-timers for the Rams as well. You know, Von Miller has been there and done that. 
Aaron Donald has been there and done that. Matthew Stafford, perhaps the, the X factor for the Rams in this game, has not. This is as big a stage as he has ever played on. But for a team and a coach in an organization that has gone through it a couple of years ago, who, who really knows how to go about approaching this week versus Cincinnati, who is really on the outside looking in in that department, although Zach Taylor is somebody who was a part of that Super Bowl run back in 18. Of course, not not successful for the Rams. But I think there is an edge there for a more veteran team and, and a credit to Cincinnati who has not been phased by any of this. You know, they, they are, are so young. They, they don't even know what they don't know. I mean, they don't know how big of a situation that they are rolling into, but it's just been really I- impressive the way that they have handled themselves throughout this playoff run. But at the same time, the Super Bowl is a different animal. I mean, everything else, there's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of building. There's all of that stuff throughout the postseason. But I still don't think that it rises to the level of what teams face just atmosphere-wise in the Super Bowl. And I think that's a big difference. Yeah, and you know, I've talked a lot about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase being young guys. But someone that has been so electric for this Bengals team, and we haven't really brought it up, is their kicker, Evan McCree. I mean, he's a rookie. He hasn't missed, a, you know, he's been electric throughout the entire playoffs. And, you know, one can only wonder, is he going to be able to keep that hot streak throughout the Super Bowl? I mean, we heard from Brandon about how, you know, in New York, how those lights get brighter. And listen, L.A. is no, uh, <laughs> not much of a step down from New York. I mean, yeah. that exists here in Los Angeles, too. So, I mean, you've been able to depend on your place kicker in Evan McPherson the whole time. Does that persist throughout the actual big game where it's all, you know, it's just, it's a question for me personally because he's just been electric. Yeah. No, it's it's been really impressive. Just the ice water and the veins collectively and Joe Burrow at the top of the list and the way that he has just managed this entire week. I mean, it's it's really impressive how this whole organization has done that, and it hasn't really phased them. But as, you know, Brandon was, was able to mention and, and give us a, a great window into, I, I think that it is, it's still a little bit different. You know, not having been there, experiencing this thing for the first time and, and trying to, you know, manage what's going on, I think that's it's, it's a different animal uh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's something that we as fans can only – I mean, I had the conversation yesterday. We're limited in terms of how much we know, how much um, we can really contribute to, you know, a discussion that should be handled by the pros. And I was shocked to hear because, you know, a lot of this stuff is, you know, guys like you and me speculating, right? Yep. But when you hear from a player and he says, you know what, the moment got really big, that is something that, you know, I was so surprised and interested and fascinated to hear because you know those thoughts that you and me have that exists for a guy who's got a ring too yeah trying to manage the moment manage the emotion as we continue here on radio row from los angeles we'll take a quick break here on one-on-one on the other side we'll continue our preview of super bowl 56 between the rams and the Bengals, and hit on a little bit of what's going on with big blue haven't talked a ton about the giants stick with us here on wfuv sports Coming up on the final hour here on One on One, New York's longest-running sports call-in show. 
Nick DeLuca, Jack Roach, Mike Messina, Mike Legan here with you from Radio Row in Los Angeles. Had a Super Bowl 56 between the Rams and the Bengals. Covered a lot of ground this afternoon with some excellent guests, John Yastrzemski and Brandon Marshall joining us and seeing if anyone else will end up stopping by before our day is done here in the final hour. But, you know, getting a lot of discussion in about the Nets and the 76ers, the trade sending Ben Simmons to Brooklyn and James Harden back to Philadelphia, getting through the Super Bowl preview and what to expect and some outstanding insight from Brandon about just the way that this game can change your perspective and the, the difference of playing in the Super Bowl, trying to treat it like any other game, but it's just not necessarily possible to do it in that way. And the adjustment period that might be apparent for, for the Bengals, you feel like as the younger team, the team has not been there and done that. And again, a lot of new for the Rams as well, but you, you feel like they're, organization might be in a little bit of a better position to, to handle all of those things. And, uh, you know, certainly fascinated to see how that goes. And we'll, we'll, as the final hour wraps up, have to touch on the New York Giants situation and the changes that have gone on there and, and this new organization and the moves that they have made both in their front office and getting things going with this entire organization. And, It'll be interesting to see how they are able to, to manage this new and, and this fresh look uh, with this organization and Brian Dayball and, and how they handle Daniel Jones and what the future is for him as, as their quarterback. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not the biggest Giants fan in the world, and for good reasons. You know, they, break, they broke my heart twice. But I am fascinated to see what goes on with Daniel Jones because – you took him, I mean, Nick, I remember the two of us talking when you draft him sixth overall. You got the sixth pick and the 17th pick. And to be quite honest, you probably could have gotten him with that 17th pick. But to quote the guy sitting right across from me, when your guy's on the board, you don't take any chances. You yeah. got to get your guy. And if he was what we expected him to be, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But here we are in year four, right, year four? And we haven't... Year three, going into year going four. Going into year four. Yeah. And we haven't really seen much. We've seen what you can do, what he can do with his feet. Because he's an athlete, yeah. right? But this Giants, I mean, <laughs> they've done everything they can to screw this guy up, you know? They said that. They said those exact words, you know? Those aren't even my words. So, I... I mean, Dabble has been incredible. What he's done with Josh Allen, and to be quite honest, I don't expect Jones to be the guy that Allen is. I mean, that would be a shock. But I think that they do have some similar strengths. Yeah, I don't think that's absurd. They, they do have an ability to move. They've got, you know, some of those things. Certainly, Josh Allen is a much better athlete at, at his core than his Daniel Jones, but I don't think Daniel Jones gets enough credit for the kind of athlete that he is either. I, I think he is a, a better athlete than, than people want to give him credit for and is able to, to make some of those off-schedule plays that 
teams covet and talk about all the time. And it is a, a frequent topic of conversation with, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, those guys who were able to do those things and the talent that they possess. And he's got that capability, I think. I'm not sure that the arm strength is quite to that degree that we, we were talking about with some of these other guys. And he's got to be able to come in and, and learn offenses better too. I think that he has been beat up a lot because of some subpar offensive line play. But I also think that at times it can be on the quarterback when that stuff happens, and he's got to be smarter in decision-making. I think that's a place where he certainly can improve, and, and that shows up a lot. And he was able to clean up the turnovers much more so this year, but you know, not able to get the offense humming to where they were really looking for it to be in middle of the pack versus and, – and J.J. brought up a, a great point when he joined us to – kick off the show today you know it, it was really a great window into how much he meant to their offense when he was gone because they were historically bad I mean they were really 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 bad on offense to the point where they were QB sneaking oh from their one yard line you know on third down whatever it was because they had no confidence and, and the other guys are really really bad but it just shows you that without Daniel Jones even that offense was was really in a, a difficult spot but that to me is is the issue you know can he stay healthy can he make the good decisions can he do those types of things that can elevate those that are around him and he hasn't necessarily proven that yet see if Brian Dayball can be that type of guy and that type of influence on Daniel Jones that he was for Josh Allen but I, I also think that there's a there's not enough credit being given to Josh Allen in a lot of these situations too I mean he is a guy who came in with the open mindset, who wanted to be coached, who had that athleticism, but was also humble enough to know, hey, if I don't be receptive to the coaching that I've gotten, then then I'm not going to be successful. And he he said it 100% right when he signed a, a huge contract extension with the Bills to remain, and, and you know that's his made it moment. But he said the Bills are not paying me for what I've done; they're paying me. For what I can do, and you know, I only want to get better. I'm I'm looking to get better. I'm continuing that chase to try and be the best player that I can be, and and that's there's there's value to that. And and does Daniel Jones have that same type of mentality? I think that from all accounts, he's got he, he's got that right mindset that it's there. But is he that type of player that is really going to be that receptive to coaching and get it? And, and a lot of times, some guys are willing. They just don't end up putting it together. They don't get it. And, and can Daniel Jones be that type of guy is, is something to me that remains to be seen. But, you know, I think he is coachable. I think he, he's going to be, you know, somebody who's willing to, to work with Brian Dable. But, you know, Josh Allen, to me, deserves a lot of the credit, too, for his work over the offseason, trying to, to invest and get better. And his work with Jordan Palmer, you know, on mechanics and things, that's made a world of difference. And, and can Daniel Jones take that same type of initiative when you feel confident that he's getting the right coaching and the, the right voices are in his ear. Yeah, and in that regard, what concerns me is this past offseason, you bring in Kenny Galladay and you draft Kadarius Tony. Neither of those guys caught a touchdown this year. Yeah. Then you bring in Dabble, right? And you bring him in for one reason. And that's, well, you know, they, they've got a bunch of issues on this team. But I think the main reason you bring him in is to see what you've got in Daniel Jones. Right. And 
I'm sure that the number one thing that they need to beef up this year, just like the Bengals, is their offensive line. Because you've got some skill players that are exciting and are guys that you should be trying to, I guess, I mean, Kenny Galladay was a guy in Detroit, you know? And the Giants weren't the only team on him. And he got a big contract, right? So if this year it doesn't pan out, I think the Daniel Jones experiment is over. I don't know if it's over. They have to hold on to him this year. Absolutely. Because you're not going to – you can't really get rid of a first-round draft pick before the first four years. I mean, that's generally the way it works. I, Dwayne Haskins was, was the exception to that and an utter failure in Washington because of a lot of stuff that was off the field. But if you have any hope for your quarterback, you're not going to get rid of him before year four. You, you won't do that just because the money doesn't make sense. You're, you're losing a ton – to even if you want to put him on the, the bench as a backup, it's it's worth it to you from a salary cap perspective. But, you know, it depends. I think that your, your point is well taken for me, that it could be the end of the line if, if things go poorly. I don't expect them to go poorly. I would imagine that the Giants are going to be in a similar situation, perhaps with a clearer answer because it's it's been another year of that. But they're going to be in a spot where we think Daniel Jones is okay. He can do some things, but we are left wanting about a guy who's a top-flight quarterback who can help us compete for the championships that we want to be chasing as that type of organization. That would be my expectation. I would imagine that you're going to get more of the same from Daniel Jones. He's going to be, you know, his strengths are going to be highlighted. Brian Dable is going to come in and do the job that he needs to do as as somebody who had a ton of success in Buffalo and, you know, I, I think is a really great coach in this league and the work that he's done with with quarterbacks is not to be, you know, undervalued, but at the same time it, it's a lot of it is, is on the quarterback and, and their ability to be successful and I'm just not 100% sold on Daniel Jones being that top flight guy. I think he is somebody who, who is comparable to an Alex Smith. I mean, he's got some of that mobility he can make some of the plays and as he matures the the decision making has gotten better and and but he's not going to give you that that top flight upside and there's going to be a lot of variability he's one of those guys that probably you'd love to have as a backup quarterback and if you have him as your starter you are wondering where that leaves you in terms of the ability to compete you feel like you'd have to have the perfect roster around him to be able to compete for, for a championship. And that's what he's shown. My estimation is is that's what he's going to continue to show. I, I wouldn't ha- I have not seen much to suggest otherwise. I think Dayball is going to get what he can out of him, but I, I'm not positive that that's going to be enough. Yeah, what I think is that if you walk away from year four saying that he improved, that's a disaster. Because just yesterday we're talking about how you need a star quarterback to win in this league. And you mentioned Alex Smith. Well, let's talk about the trajectory of the Chiefs. They were a good team for a long time. Yeah. But you bring in Patrick Mahomes and they're champions. Now, it's a little bit different because of the injury to, you know, Alex Smith and just other factors. But I just, you can't just have him improve by year four. You can't just have him get a little bit better. You need to walk away from this season confident in him being 
your quarterback of the future. And if not, I, I think it's time to move on, not shipping him out of town. You talked about, you know, the financial aspect to all of this because I think he could be a good backup. Well, after next year, they can. I mean, after this year, they're going to have to make a decision about a a fifth-year option and then go from there. But, you know, then they can can make that estimation after the year. But listen, yesterday we heard from Mr. Cassell that you need – you can't call a guy after year one a bust. But can you call it after four years? I don't know. I mean, it's it's a tough it's a tough situation here, and again, you never know who's ever going to show up here on Radio Row. Michael Montgomery joining us here on Radio Row, WFUV Sports. Uh, You know, we we get our guests to pop in, and and we appreciate you taking some time. How are you? How's the experience been? Man, great! I saw how quick you picked that up, man. You're, you're a professional, man. I came up, you heard from the distance, Michael Montgomery. I was like, whoa, man, this guy's good. No, man, I'm doing great, man. Just uh, blessed to be here, blessing this atmosphere. I'm so excited about this game. You know, I'm, a, I'm an old-fashioned defensive guy. I played Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, 2005, 2010. AJ Hawk with Pat Tillman's show. And I'm just excited, man. I, I love the thrill of competition. You know, and and it's going to be an awesome game. So I'm just excited to be here. Yesterday we see the NFL honors, Aaron Rodgers, MVP. You played in Green Bay for a while. Reactions to that (laughs) award? Were you surprised? I was. I was actually surprised. I thought. I thought. You know, Tom Brady. You know, being the passing yards leader. You know, I thought. You know, they were probably going to give it to him as a gift that's going out and but uh you know it's well deserved well earned uh Aaron Rodgers put them in a, in a great position unfortunately you know he lost they lost in a, against the 49ers but you know well deserved uh just hope you know they can put it together and, and make a, a Super Bowl push next year you were a part of a Green Bay Packers team that advanced to the Super Bowl if I'm not mistaken right mm-hmm. and, and ended up winning it back uh, in 2010 down in Arlington we have talked to a number of guests throughout the week just getting an understanding of what this experience is like as a player. You know, you work your whole life to become an NFL player, and the dream, of course, once you reach the NFL is to win the Super Bowl. The environment is so huge. The atmosphere is incredible. What is it like trying to manage the emotion of going into this game that is something you've dreamed of your whole life? Uh, just, just talking to people who've done it. Uh, fortunately, uh, there was a player um, at the time that won a Super Bowl while the Green Bay, and he said, you know, just, just manage your energy because with the Super Bowl, you're going to be – the Super Bowl, when you get there, you know, the, the game don't start till maybe three hours later. So you got to manage your energy, your warm-up time, your adrenaline uh, before it leads up. So you just got to manage your, your, your energy level, your adrenaline, uh, and, and let it go when that first game starts. A team that had tremendous success during the regular season but didn't really have that same success in the playoffs was the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I'm you, from you, Texas, so I this is every year. You know, every year they have a lot of success. Well, I wouldn't say that. Every year they, 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 they win their conference and get, get in the playoffs and lose. And I, I have a, a friend of mine, I always, always – make fun of, fun of them, I, I, I fell asleep and I woke up. I was like, 
the Dallas went they went to Dallas Lou at the last minute. Like, <laughs> how did you know? I was like, it happens every year, you know. It's, but but, you know, I was very, very uh, uh, disappointed because I thought they had a lot of great pieces to to go far this year. You know, they had Pro Bowls from each side of the ball on offense and defense, and they was it was just another disappointing year like last year. So. And, and as a follow up. The coach of the Cowboys was Mike McCarthy, who you were able to play with. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, what made Green Bay so great when we went on to the Super Bowl and when we went deep in the playoffs, we had a defense that matched our offense production. You know, we had great players on both sides of the ball that can, you know, uh, help you know each other out when they win games. Because you know, look, you know, we're all human. Aaron Rodgers is not going to throw for 300 yards and five touchdowns every game. You know, he might throw some picks or whatever. You know, that's that's the game. You know, you never know. It might tip pass and go. So it, it had a great defense by Charles Woodson, you know, Cullen Jenkins, Clay Matthews, uh, A.J. Hawk. He's not over there. I don't see him. <laughs> but we had a great defense that offset, you know, any mistakes or anything the offense had. So if the offense – had a bad day, you know, the defense can, you know, balance that out and get a get a victory. Michael, this to me is a really interesting Super Bowl for a number of reasons. The Bengals are a little bit ahead of schedule. You feel like their offensive line might not be the greatest and, and potentially a really good defensive line for the Rams yeah. is positioned to be, you know, is, is going to be able to take advantage I'm curious for you as somebody who came in and as a defensive lineman, I'm sure that you saw matchups where this is somewhere where we can really be good. We, we can go out, we can dominate this offensive line that we're going to play on Sunday, whether it be in the playoffs, regular season, otherwise. What was the mentality for you for the rest of the defensive line, for the defense in the meeting room? When you're looking at the guys across from you and you're saying, you know what, I, I think we can have a really good week. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, our advantage was was playing in our role. You know, when it comes to defense, especially defensive linemen, we have a certain gap. And it's our job to uh, stay in that gap. And if any play or the ball comes, we protect that gap and play good gap sound defense. And, uh, and when it comes to pass rush, when they do decide to pass the ball, you know, every D lineman has a pass rushing lane. And if we get too high past the quarterback when we rush the passer, it's up to our job to retrace and cover ground so we, we won't leave any quarterback to start running and get extra yards or convert on the third or fourth down. So I think, like, when, when we're rushing the ball, you know, we got to make a sound decision on that, you know, not to get too high up on the quarterback where he can flush out and take off running upside. So I think being a conscious effort of controlling the quarterback, like case in point, the Super Bowl, you know, it was our job not to rush too high. You know, you know, obviously we want to get a sack in the Super Bowl. We're playing against Ben, but in the game plan, his job and where he did a lot of damage was getting out the pocket, getting extra yards, getting the first down. So we, we condensed the pocket and controlled pass rush to – to condense the quarterback so he won't get any leakage and force him to throw the ball in the pocket or under the rest. 
I love the um, analysis you give. Kind of, I, I wish I had a clipboard so we could do X's and O's. Yeah, I, I had it. I had it. Hey, I swear I should have been a coach. I swear I should have been. Not too late, right? Yeah, you're right. It's not too late. I need to go back. I'm so passionate about football and the competition and how it develops character. You know, when you're young, like I always say, football is the ultimate common denominator of character, regardless. If you're black, white, Latino, any race, regardless of your religion, regardless of who you vote for, Biden or Trump, if you're on a football team, we're riding with you, and we're, we're going to play together to win the game. And that's the one thing I loved about football. You clearly have a wealth of knowledge and passion for the game. <laughs> Is there a matchup come Sunday that you're looking forward to seeing between two guys, between two positions, yeah. you know, that, that we can expect to be a good one? I'm, I'm excited to see the Rams' defensive line versus the Bengals' O-line. That's just, that's what I've been talking about the whole time. Vaughn Miller, Floyd, Aaron Donald. I'm just excited to see how hard and how fast they, people don't know. I, I, I had to just research when I, Aaron Donald. Did people know he ran a 4-6 in the combine? I didn't. The dude was a freak. <laughs> He's like 6'1", 6'2", running a 4'6", oh. and bench pressing 225 30 times, 35 times. Dude is fast and strong. So, and, and, and Vaughn Miller, you know, winning the Super Bowl MVP. So I'm just excited to see how fast and how hard the, the defensive line is going to play against the Bengals. And case in point, I think it's, for me personally, I think it's going to be a close game until late third quarter. And then that's when you're going to see the Rams pull away. But they got to play hard until the finish because we know we've seen from last two weeks how the Bengals play hard the whole game from Kansas City uh, baffled. So they got to play full 60 minutes to win this game. In the same vein of, of what makes these two teams so successful, and for the Rams it's on the defensive line and that matchup that you feel like you can take advantage of in that defensive meeting room, is there something that made you as a defensive lineman really uncomfortable? The teams knew that maybe we were outgunned a little bit up front, so we'll try this. And that was something that was able to be effective in mitigating some of that pass rush, whether it be you know zone run, some play action, action stuff, and, and those types of things that would really mitigate the effectiveness. A lot of people are saying run right at Aaron Donald, make him you know try and wear him down over the course of the game. Yeah, I mean, there's always an alternative. When you watch tape, you got to watch how a defensive line attack takes on blocks. Uh, some guys take on blocks more firm and hands and press and pull the gap. Some guys uh, shoot the gap and, and play the play the ball. So, so it, when it comes to defensive line and also studying running against a defensive line, you got to know, know where their strengths are. It's case in point, you know, Von Miller, fast. You know, he's coming off the ball, especially if it's a pass down. You know, I would run a screen or run a play-action pass right up under that, that uh, B-gap where he's rushing, him and Aaron Donald. But Aaron Donald is smart. He's, he's smart. He, I don't know. What, I don't know. I can, and also I can have to credit to uh, a Coach Henderson, you know, a guy I played with in uh, the CF, uh, UFL. He's his D-line coach, he, and he just taught him how to read, run, and pass. But – you know, when you take it on the blocks, you got to really understand how a defensive lineman play, you know, because, uh, you know, they can lead. 
rushing up the field will get you trapped and get you gassed uh, when you when you play in run defense. So it's very very cautious to stay on line of scrimmage and play run, run to pass. I'm curious how much you see experience being uh, a factor in this game. You've got a Bengals team, yeah. a lot of inexperienced players, and then you know for Los Angeles. Matthew Stafford, been in the league for a long time, but, you know, before L.A., hadn't won a playoff game, but then you got Von Miller. So, you know, just how much do you see this being a factor in the game? Well, I see, I see it for a factor for the, for the veterans. I mean, for, for, especially for the Rams. The Rams been there and lost, and I'm sure they got a bad taste in their mouth, especially Aaron Donald been going on the media tour talking about how, how tough it was for that loss, and he felt like he could have did more, and he, didn't, he wasn't as productive as he should have been. But to see that, I, I think it's going to play a part. But I know for a fact the Bengals are going to come ready to play. And you can't underestimate that offense and that dynamic defense, you know, that causes turnovers. So the Rams got to play an airtight, airtight offensive game uh, and limit turnovers because we know how explosive that offense is with Joe Burrow, Chase, uh, Higgins, and we know, and Mick, Mix, 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 Joe Mixon, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon, so Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl. So we know how explosive that offense is. So, you know, we just got Rams need to limit turnovers. You know, the special teams need to hold their ground and give their offense and defense good plenty of room to work with. Talking to former Packers defensive lineman Michael Montgomery, and so – We'll wrap up here with you shortly. Don't want to take too much of your time. Really appreciate you hanging out with us here. Um, I can't let you leave before we ask you about <laughs> where you think Aaron Rodgers is going to be. I, I was waiting to hear it. I, I mean, was, I can't. We cannot <laughs> let you leave. Yeah, I was like, I was before, <laughs> before where you know where is Aaron Rodgers going to go? I just got to. Oh, as there some, he is. As somebody's going to play. See, I got he it. Got me. I, I was just you know. He, he was in L.A. last night, so I figured he must have rolled up. But just from your experience knowing him as a, as a former teammate, getting a chance to play with him, getting a chance to play with him while Brett Favre was still in the fold, a really unique time at his career and, and to see the way that he has grown from there. But just your, your whole take on what has gone on over the last couple of years with the Packers and where you see him going. Well, I just won't believe he'll leave until it actually happens. Aaron Rodgers, the type of personality he is, you know, he's a California guy, but he also loves his privacy. If he goes anywhere, team, his privacy is going to be very limited if he goes to these big city market teams. He's a guy who really loves, you know, being come and go in the spotlight if he wants to. And the Green Bay Packers and the organization, it's, it's just too good for him to leave the way the town and the city and the offense and how he can – and the receivers and the offensive players he has, it's just way too good of him to leave. I don't never see him leaving. And with the team, you know, I, I could concur. You know, there was a lot of guys that should have kept on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball that made, that made our team better, but they let him go. Case in point, Julius Peppers, Charles Woodson. You shouldn't have retired a Raider. You should have been in Green Bay. But case And that's how, you know, where – you know, priorities took the choice where they catered to the offense more than the defense. And uh, that's what Aaron Rodgers saying, you know, we need to keep the veteran players here so we can have a better shot competing in the playoffs. 
So, but I, I don't see. I won't. I won't dare believe he'll leave Green Bay. Michael Montgomery with the verdict. Aaron Rodgers, you heard it here first, is staying in Green Bay and will be there with Matt LaFleur and company uh, coming up next season. Michael, we really appreciate the time. No, no, hey, the pleasure's mine. Also, hey, everybody listening, I have a podcast, Undefeated with Michael Montgomery, you know, where I talk to a lot of players, sports and entertainment podcast, talk to athletes, entertainers about how they created wealth created healthy relationships and overcome adversity. And where can we listen to that? We can listen on YouTube and we can listen on Apple. That's awesome. Be sure to check that out for those of you listening at home, and we certainly will too. Appreciate you taking some time. thank you so much. It's my honor. That's former Packers defensive lineman Michael Montgomery joining us live here on YouTube one-on-one here from the Los Angeles Convention Center. Some great insights about... All these things, Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl, letting us know that Aaron Rodgers is going to be sticking around in Green Bay. And, and we'll see what, what ends up happening, but, but some great insights there. And also just on the run to the Super Bowl, the way that these things unfold and just trying to manage, again, as we've alluded to throughout the, the last hour of this show, just the emotion of what goes on and you know trying to, to be able to stick with it and all of the things that are made bigger by the the Super Bowl atmosphere here in Los Angeles and just in general. And we are joined by another former NFLer, guy out of the defensive lineman class of the, the Ohio State <laughs> University there, Jimmy here, Bell. Hello. Really appreciate you you taking some time to chat with us here. Hello, How are you today? Man, I'm incredible. I'm having a good day today, man. I finally got a little bit of rest last night. So, <laughs> you know, I got up early, flew in, jet lag, events all yesterday, speaking engagements. So I, I stayed in. I was a good boy. I stayed in last night preparing for the day so y'all can see. It's like I, I got juice in me, baby. So now you get to hang out a little bit. That's Come good. Come on with the Florida boys. <laughs> Did you have the opportunity to attend the NFL Honors last night? No, and I, I didn't. I didn't. I'm not that big of a guy. <laughs> I'm the big guy, not in the big guy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? In the big guy realm. They would have they would have stiffed armed me. They would have Derek Hindered me at the door. You know what I'm saying? Any, I would have uh, liked your odds on, on the other end of a stiff arm. I think you would have been all right. You would have like, can we videotape this? Jimmy's on his way in. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think there's much stopping Jimmy Bell when he wants to go somewhere. I guess that's... Right. That's just what I see, but incredible. Well, you played at the Ohio State the University. Ohio State Burgers. Thank you. You said it correctly. Smart guy. And I want to know Uh-oh. about Jacksonville, Urban Meyer. I'm just curious about that oh, whole situation. What are you doing to me? You can say no comment. Hey, hey, check it out. No, no, I, I'm past the no comment guy. This is the funny thing. I do, I do Fox and ABC analyst in in Columbus, and I suck at local local commentary because if you could imagine being a Buckeye is kind of different. And everything. All Buckeyes are yes men. Yeah. And I'm like, man, get the hell out of here. I'm like, I'm the honest dude. You know what I'm saying? I knew that was going to be a disaster going in, to be honest with you. I called it. It's documented. I feel good patting myself on the back and Urban's demise. Not that I have any problems with Urban. It's just part of the part of the college part of the part of the professional game is the locker room, right? And and you and part of your hustle and being a successful coach is that you have to understand the different parts of what you have to manage to get the, the productivity that you want. Well, Herb's, Herb is the epitome of a micromanager, right? Like, are you talking conservative, 
white American micromanager, <laughs> right? Totally successful. Everything has gone Irvin's way. So think about it. His, his first move was to hire, during all of this racial stuff and colorism mm -hmm. stuff in America, you hired a dude that got fired for in Iowa. And your excuse was, hey, that's just my homeboy. And I vetted him because he's my boy. I don't think he has, you know, we're having a problem. I said, oh, he's done. But I knew he would be done before that because he's just, and he's just so used to having a particular type of control. And how would he look at men who looked at him as just part of the puzzle? Like, homie, you're not my dad. You know, you're not my uncle. You're not my, you're not, not my, you're really not my superior. I make more money than you. I'll get you fired and I'll still be here, homie. What, you know what I'm saying? How would he handle that? So, so the crazy thing is, and you guys mark it here, and I already said this, more stuff is going to come out at the college level. Because if you think about if he if he had the audacity to operate in that fashion with grown men, how do you think he handled a lot of these kids and their families? Yeah. Right. And some of the kids, two of them has actually already come out. But as it keeps going, if he doesn't disappear, some more stuff will come out. You know, unfortunate. Yeah, it is unfortunate. And. I'd, I'm not convinced that he's 100% done in college football. I just think he's been that successful that somebody along the line might just take a chance on him. Another one of your stops getting onto the NFL, the New York Giants, who just Absolutely. brought in an entire new regime, new general manager, Joe Shane, new head coach, Brian Dayball, both coming over from the Buffalo Bills. What do you make of that move? Interesting. Um, you know, proximity matters, and, and you guys know this, being with New the Jets and the, and the Giants are is just as big as a rivalry as Ohio State Michigan, right? Um, you get into the AFC North, that that's a rivalry. No one pretty much intertwines, and and the fact that you do have a Buffalo Bills, <laughs> you know, you picked up pretty much everybody from them. But you know, sadly, the, the Giants have been making poor organizational decisions for some time, and. And what happens in football, and you guys can see this, it's, it's a cultural trend. Everybody wants to follow the trend. Well, they're, they're do, in, instead of finding their formula for success, whatever they think it is, and roll with that, now they're looking at what did that team do that was successful last year? Okay, let's get all the Buffalo Bills guys. Okay, so what are you going to do? Cincinnati wins tomorrow? You're going to fire the guys next year and get all the Cincinnati Bills guys? You see what I'm, I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals guys? And that's what they're doing. I think they're just continuing to make these organizational hires and fires without a plan. It's kind of like the Cleveland Browns model, right? You know, hire somebody, see what sticks on the wall. If it doesn't stick, then you fire them. Then you keep doing that thing, and then you, you know, you get Baker Mayfield. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> not a Baker Mayfield fan. Uh, listen, listen, <laughs> homie. The day Baker Mayfield. Planet that Oklahoma pole yep. in our O. <laughs> oh my goodness. The Lord Jesus himself said, Okay, bro, I'm going to raise up Joey Burrow to take your spot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Baker's going down the tube. I, I don't know. And I'm telling you, Ohio State is not, I, I'm not so much of a fanatic, but Ohio State is such a fanatic. I said, The irony of this guy getting drafted number one spot, that comes with a little different level of responsibility 
when he has that type of history with Ohio State, yeah. it hasn't worked out for him. Like, the gods will not let it come into play for him, and it won't. You mentioned Baker Mayfield, and you look at this Rams roster, and a big reason why they've had so much success in this postseason is Odell Beckham Jr. I guess, what, what do you make of that situation, kind of having to pick between Baker Mayfield and OBJ and the Rams clearly getting the better end of that deal? Hey, hey, you ever had those two, you ever had some friend frenemy relationships where your homeboy was a narcissist, but his girlfriend was a narcissist too? And, you, and you're counseling each one by the day of the, the degree of their narcissism? Well, that's, that's Cleveland Browns and, and, and Baker Mayfield, right? They got caught up. Lane Kiffin, how did Lane Kiffin rise the way he did, his history, and continue to get jobs? Well, narcissism know how to get the soul of people to get advantages. Well, Baker, I think, operates in that narcissistic perspective. I think a lot of major organizations operate in that, that same perspective. So when things weren't working out, instead of being honest about what's really happening, you find a scapegoat. OBJ has been the Brown scapegoat since he left New York. To be honest with you, he's been a model citizen at the Browns. Nothing. You ain't heard, you ain't heard nothing from that dude at the Browns. And every week, Every excuse for the Browns sucking since he's been there has been him. So, again, they're getting the karma of, of their choices and decisions. You see what I'm saying? So it wasn't OBJ. It was Baker. And, and check this out. I'm not saying Baker's bad, but he was overdrafted. And more than and the thing that hurt them the worst, he was overdrafted the number one guy. The number one guy is a franchise changer. I'm talking physically on the field. I think he did invite some incredible things franchise-wise from attention and energy, but he wasn't physically the type of guy that you needed to elevate your program for 10 years. You see what I'm saying? So it was Baker and not OBJ to me. But to be fair, to be oh, fair, geez. oh boy, he's really good in the Hulu commercials, right? Hey, listen. <laughs> listen. I, I just put a post on the other day. I said, I said, Baker Mayfield, 5,000 commercials. And I said, Joey Burrow, only one Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what do you want, the wins or the commercials? You know what I'm saying? I would say you want the wins, but I, I guess that's, that's up for debate. Talking with Jimmy Bell, former defensive lineman at The Ohio State University and with the New York Giants you evaluated Baker Mayfield for us. I'm curious what you see out of Daniel Jones as somebody that Ryan Dable's coming in with the Giants trying to work with, seeing if they can't turn him around and has shown some promise throughout the first couple of years, but inconsistent, hasn't been able to stay yeah. healthy at times. What do you feel like the future is for Daniel Jones as the quarterback of the Giants? Sadly, he's probably done with the Giants. Very similarly, he was overdrafted for his draft, not necessarily overdrafted in number. So, sometimes you just have to be honest about your these, – these, these teams think they're smarter than what the numbers say. They should have took Dwayne Haskins, right? If they had took Dwayne Haskins, then if Dwayne wouldn't have worked out, they could have just cut ties a little faster because he was the appropriate guy to, to grab. But since you freaking overdrafted, 
I'm not saying the kid isn't talented. I'm not. Shoot, Russell Wilson should have been a first round draft pick and he was the second rounder. I'm not saying that, but when you're overdrafted and, and the economics of football, you take more chances than, than you should, which means there's more pressure on Daniel with a coaching staff that in the past four years, the, the tipsy turvy, what, what, what are you going to do? So part of it, I mean, I don't think any of it is Daniel's fault. I think he's an NFL quarterback. I think he has NFL talent. I think he has Tom Brady-ish talent, right? I think with the right system and the right organization and the right coaching, I think we'll get the max out of what Daniel has to offer. But sadly, with with the history of the, the Giants organization, I don't think they have to offer what he has. Even bring, bringing the Bills guys in. They worked with a dude whose game is totally different than Dan's. You see what I'm saying? So what, what, what are you going to do? You seem to know a lot about the, the politics of the NFL draft. <laughs> and I'm just curious if there are any guys that you think are going to go under the radar heading into this upcoming NFL draft. Um, I, I have, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't, I haven't evaluated it mm-hmm. that, that way. I, I, since you asked the question, I wish I had. But, but one of my, again, I'm an honest dude. So one of my loves and passions is every NFL draft watching these impundents who know everything because they're so, I know everything. I've never played, but let me tell you, I've never coached, but let me tell you. I know he's going to go one, two, three, four, or five, and their whole thing is jacked up. Like, it's totally, you get dudes. I, I, I love when you get dudes who shouldn't be drafted in a particular place. All these people say that he's not going to, and he gets what he deserves, and he gets appropriately drafted. I also hate the fact that some guys get get kind of looked down upon based upon what these guys say, even though they earned their spot on the field in college. You know what I'm saying? But I also love the guys who get the opportunity because they maximize within the process, whatever necessary, to get drafted. So, you know, you, you, have, you haven't heard a lot about this class, so to speak, the way you've heard a lot about past classes. So, so going through this whole combine next month and – and seeing guys rise and see people talk, it's going to be super interesting. Listen, we got two of the best in the country at Ohio State. You're going to hear a lot about Olivier. But Garrett Wilson, from the day I saw him go after a ball his first year, I said, oh, that mofo's going to be a star. And he's a, he's a legit star. He's a football player. You have athletes, and then you have football players. And then you have football players who are athletes. This guy's a football player who happens to be an athlete. Mark my words. Jimmy, do you have a favorite Ohio State player in the NFL right now? Oh, Lord. That's another good question. Jeez. Jeez. Okay, let me say this. Let me say this. I have a favorite Ohio guy. Can I do that? Sure. Okay, cool. Because us Ohio State fans have been whack. They're trying to... They're trying to claim Joey Burrow. I say, you can't claim Joey. Yeah. He's a tiger. We had our chance to choose, and we chose Dwayne. Yeah. And who said at 6'6", 320, I'm fat now, so back then I was probably 300, I said, Joey should start. Who was the guy? I'm raising my hand for you guys in Florida who can't see me. <laughs> I called it. 
I said Urban is playing the worst poker game of his career, and it's going to come back to bite him. So I am officially a Joey Burrow fan. People ask me who's going to win. Joey Burrow. Who are you reading rooting for the Rams or the Bengals? Joey Burrow. Right? <laughs> I care less about the teams. I'm rooting for Joey. So, so if you gave a different answer, I was I had the picture of Burrow with his Ohio State jersey. <laughs> I, I was ready. And kind of following up on that, you know, it seems like you followed the program for a while, you know, as a former player. Are you surprised at the success that he's had in year two? Um, yes. A lot of people were saying they saw his swag. And listen, man, you, he, listen, you had, listen, I watched Vince Young play in college. What in the world? Like, get the hell out of here. I watched, um, uh, uh, Michael Vick play, right? There's some other guys that you watch fling the ball and guys, and you're like, man, them dudes get to college because they're physical prowess. Joy wasn't that. Like, no one knew. Come on, bro. Not in two years. Get the heck out of here. No one. If, if they say they knew, th did he have the formula as far as attitude, the pedigree? He's a coach's kid, which most people don't know. So, yeah, he's a, he's a southeastern, which is Appalachia-ish dude. But he grew up in football. It's his thing. Like, he grew up in football. His dad was a coach at OU. He's he, Division One program. He's a coach's kid. So he understands the necessity of wanting to be here, wanting to be the best. Well, you still have to play that out. He, he, he does have the physical talents to be here, but you still got to – he's not so extraordinarily physically talented that he didn't have to work his butt off like Michael Vick. He was so talented he didn't – at some point he didn't have to work on it, which he talks about terminated his part of his career, right? So, so no, I didn't think this. Not to mention the, the Bengals is historically known as one of the worst organizations on earth. For like, sure. Like, no one wants to go there, bro. Like, if you, if you interviewed any, <laughs> if any one of our agents hit us up and said, Bengals, we'd be cussing uh, on your program and you probably guys would be off the air. You know what I'm saying? We'd be off the air. <laughs> Jimmy, uh, what's, what's next for you this week? Um, I have some other events. I'm here with uh, an organization called Pro Speak. I'm a motivational speaker and a life coach. I've been for um, really since I got in the league, and I work with Pro Speak. I also work with Chris Broussard in your diagonal. He's normally over there. Um, one half of the odd couple with Rod Parker. Have an organization called King Movement. Um, just men of God, men of Christ, coming together to do some dynamic things in the community. So, big dog, I've been having events. I, like I said, I chose not to go out last night. I missed stuff, NFL stuff, because as soon as I got off the plane, I'm, I'm, I'm on my game, motivating. I said I need to get some sleep. So the same thing. When we get out of here, we have some other events to do for some young adults later on. So, Jimmy, it was a pleasure. Really appreciate you taking no some doubt. time to join us. No doubt. Hey, check it out, guys. If you guys don't know, these two dudes have the some of the best hair in broadcasting. <laughs> Three guys, excuse me. I'm bald now. I used to have some sexy stuff back in the day. They used to call me Haji because my hair was so so slick. You know, so they thought I was Middle Eastern. But these three dudes, they need some contracts with some shampoo suave and then some old moisturizing. I don't know. Whatever holds that stuff together, 
get these guys some contracts. That's the best compliment I've got all week. Listen, big dog, I'll be your freaking agent. I'm, I'm that secure. Give me my. 3%, You're a good motivational bro. speaker. Give that's my, for sure. Give me my three percent, baby. <laughs> There you have it. Well, well, we'll have to call people up on that on that contract. But, Jimmy, we, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much for, for being here, and, and good luck the rest of the week. No doubt. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Guys you guys incredible, no doubt. <laughs> That's former NFL defense alignment. Spent the time with the Giants as well as with the Ohio State University. Jimmy Bell, always an incredibly animated customer, a really interesting conversation getting us all things Ohio and, and otherwise there. And, you know, J- Jimmy's got some energy to him. We uh, we appreciate him coming on as we, we close out here in our final 15 minutes or so here on a Friday from Radio Row. And, and you know, Jimmy's got, Jimmy's got a lot to offer, that was for sure. Listen, uh, yesterday I said that my favorite interview was Juliana Pena, you know, and that was our last interview. I had a lot of fun, got to ask questions that, you know, typically are, you know, not in my wheelhouse. But, man, that was one of the most memorable interviews I've ever. That was incredible. Got some great insight on the NFL world, the politics of the draft, the politics of coaching. I mean, and then the compliment, of course. What gets, yeah. what gets better than that? I know. That's <laughs> that's for sure. There, There's not much better than, than any of that stuff. And. He was, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to hear some of his perspective. And, you know, I, I don't want to go back on, on what Jimmy had to say for us here, but I think there was a little Ohio, Ohio State bias creeping through, you know, in terms of Joe Burrow and, you know, uh, the, the Giants should have taken Dwayne Haskins. I mean, those are those are some interesting uh, opinions to offer there. And that I'm seeing an Ohio State bias for sure. But to his point, I thought that was so interesting that, that it's not overdraft the player, but like, like in the sense that it's easier to yeah. cut ties based on, because we, we talked about Daniel Jones being taken six overall. You probably could have got him at 17. It makes it that much worse when you pick him so much higher than his projected slot and it doesn't work out. Right. Whereas, I mean, we were talking about Dwayne Haskins potentially being the number one guy. So, I think that's fascinating. It's easier to move on. I mean, these are things that yeah, we... but I guess it's it's interesting. I, I understand the point. The point is well taken. But aren't you also drafting not for what is the the easiest way to move on, but what is the most what what is the best chance for success? Isn't that have to be what you're you're striving for? Yeah, yeah. Because if you feel like Daniel Jones is better than Dwayne Haskins, then you're taking Daniel Jones. It's not about you know, or, or if you feel like Daniel Jones can be a franchise quarterback. You're not worried about, oh, if this doesn't go well, I better take him at 17. You think he's really good, you're going to take him at six. Absolutely. you got to get your guy. But I just think it's so interesting. I mean, as fans, you don't really think about yeah. the domino effect of certain moves and, and the ripple that something creates years down the line, you know. So, obviously, you know, you, you don't take Daniel Jones thinking, well, in year four with Brian Dabble, are we going to be able to make this thing work? Yeah. But I, I just really appreciated that insight, you know, that you just don't really get from guys that don't play on that level. Yeah, that's fair. I, I want to bring Mike Messina in here, too, because we've been doing a lot of talking about the Giants, and, and you were the guy who was covering the, the G-men for the entire year and, and a front-row seat to what was – 
a, a difficult season. I mean, there's no other way to slice it with any number of things. Knowing the roster wasn't good enough to, you know, Joe Judge's disasters at, at the podium and all of what went wrong and what has been going wrong for the last, you know, six, seven, eight years for the Giants. But, you know, what, what are you what, what are you feeling seeing them bring in Dayball, Shane, those types of guys to try and turn this franchise around and then seeing what, what you saw in a limited way of Daniel Jones this season, should Giants fans be optimistic that with the right coaching, Jones has a future as the starter for the, the G-men? No, I, I don't think Daniel Jones is the quarterback of the future for this Giants team. However, I do like the fact that he is still a Giant this year. I don't think moving him before next year would make sense because this quarterback draft class is not as strong as next year's, but I do love the Brian Dable hire, the Joe Shane hire, and the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. What Brian Dable is bringing to this Giants team is something that we haven't seen in a very long time since the Tom Coughlin days, and the energy around that stadium in the press box during this season when I was there was so dull, and all you heard was moaning from the press, moaning from the fans. I remember one day, I think it was they were playing the Rams, they were down by 30 at halftime. The entire stadium was walking out at halftime. During a ceremony, it was so awful to see that a great franchise like the New York Giants couldn't have fans in their seats because of the performance they're given. But then you have, towards the end of the season, trying to sway fans to come with the medium soda, and they look at it as they look at it as a slap in the face, like you're going to offer us a medium soda to come watch a mediocre football team for four hours, five hours, just get destroyed, and then you have Joe Judge, second and ten, third and ten, quarterback sneaks on their own eight-yard line. Like, what was going on last year was not great for the Giants, but I do think with Brian Dayball, he can work with Daniel Jones. He's already on nicknames with them. He calls them Daves. Calls him Dave, so so that's chemistry building right there, and I like that. And if they can work together, I think the Giants can have a good season this year with what the with the new coordinators in place. Yeah, and and we'll see what Mike Kafka can bring to the fold as the offensive coordinator for the Giants, getting the promotion by way of Kansas City was Patrick Mahomes' quarterback coach for the last couple of years. Wink Martindale, the former defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, who agreed to part ways with Jim Harbaugh and their front office coming over to run the defense for Brian Dayball and filling out his entire coaching staff. Shea Tierney coming in from Buffalo as well, helping out in the quarterback room for for Daniel Jones. So there's a lot to manage here for this Giants team trying to fill out what has been what what looks to be a pretty quality coaching staff for Brian Dayball in year one. But that has to be where the attention is. It's, It's trying to get Daniel Jones as right as he can be into this year and they have to make an evaluation because after this year you know is he going to go out and play so well that he earns himself another contract because if not then you're just going to move on and that's going to be the reality and I think that that to me is is probably the most likely scenario I don't see Daniel Jones being a New York Giant past this season at all I think they're going to be able to either trade for somebody or get somebody in the draft it stinks for that to kind of have to restart another four-year build-up, uh, uh, four-year rebuild like they've been doing the last four or five years. But look, I don't think Daniel Jones is the future of the Giants, but I do think he has a lot of potential with another organization. Nick, I want to ask you, I never asked you this yet, what are your thoughts about Dayball coming to the Giants? What do you think that, what position do you put the Bills in then? I think the Bills are fine. I mean, I, I'm not really worried about the Bills in any way offensively because Josh Allen's just as good as he is. I mean, 
I, I think the Bills might win eight to ten games if I were calling the plays. I mean, I think that Josh Allen is that talented and that good at this point. And a lot of credit goes to Brian Dable for the development of Allen in addition to the work that he put in over a couple of off seasons to really build himself into the player that he is right now. But Ken Dorsey's been a guy who's going to take over as offensive coordinator, who's been in the room, was the passing game coordinator the last couple of years, winningest quarterback in college football history, guy who knows football, who Josh Allen, you know, banged the table for to come in and call the plays. Joe Brady, a former offensive coordinator, a guy who had a ton of success with Joe Burrow, who's hanging on that wall as, you know, a quarterback making it to the Super Bowl. And his development at LSU, Joe Brady got a ton of credit and it didn't work out in Carolina. But to me, that's that's more of a reflection on Matt Rule and an entire organization that probably needs to reevaluate where it is at the moment. So I think the Bills are going to be fine. I'm more interested to see how Brian Dayball transitions to becoming a head coach because that is something that's certainly very different from being the offensive coordinator. I think that he is somebody who is great at commanding the respect of a room at, at being somebody who is able to create and forge relationships with the entire locker room and is somebody who, who certainly cares about his players, and that's apparent. I mean, I thought his press conference to, to open things up with the Giants was outstanding. You know, that, that mantra of, you know, players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, I think is, is peak Brian Dayball and is, is a great window into who he has been for the Bills over the last four years with Josh Allen, but I, I, I'm confident that the Giants got the right coach. You're more worried about where do they sit on trying to find the quarterback, and if it's not Daniel Jones, now they're on the search for one, and, and how does all that work out? Exactly. What I just want to chime in on here is let's say it doesn't work out this season, right? Let's say that Daniel Jones doesn't make that progress, that, that we really need him to um, I guess exhibit. Yeah. Where does that blame go? Do do we direct that at Dayball, or do we say, listen, this guy just isn't what we thought he was? I don't think you can put that blame on Dayball after one season as head coach because we've seen what Daniel Jones can do the past couple seasons, and there's potential there. Yeah, but we've seen that he can throw interceptions, he can fumble the ball, he's got legs on him though, he can run the ball. But I don't think if Daniel Jones has a has a bad season, a failure of a season. I don't think that's going to be put on Brian Dayball really at all, honestly, because he's new. He's got to get acclimated to the offense as well. Sure, maybe a little bit, but I think Brian Dayball and Daniel Jones are going to be able to work great together and use him to his ability instead of how Joe Judge used him and how um, the entire offense used him or the entire organization used him, I should say. Yeah, I'd be surprised if Dayball drew a ton of criticism from Daniel Jones not performing. I just think it's the nature of the situation it's, it's one of those things now. where it is it is too late I mean it, by the the admission of of Mara and Tish and others in their organization they've already done everything that they could to to mess up Daniel Jones which they said so so now yeah. where does it go <laughs> and and from from there I don't know how much accountability can go to, to Brian Dable but curious as we wrap up here last couple of minutes and, and appreciate you guys sticking with us here throughout the duration of our show from Los Angeles. Last word here, what's Saquon Barkley's future, too? You feel like he's going to be a giant next year? No, I do not. I do not feel like he's going to be a giant. I don't even know. Because I I don't either. I don't think he wants to be a giant. i got to be honest with you. From what I'm reading, what I'm seeing, I don't think he has an interest to be in this organization just because of the way that he's been used the past couple years. Obviously, he has injuries every single year, and that's an issue that 
I don't think is on the Giants. I think it's just on, on Saquon himself. But I don't think he he hasn't produced at all. He he wasn't even the, he was sure he was Giants number one running back last year, but he did not get yards at all. He did not get many carries. All you see is him getting a screen three yards behind the backfield, running two yards, and still you still losing a yard. And all you hear is Saquon Barkley minus one loss. Like it, it, I, he just did not produce the last two years like he should have been. Well. I won't say two years because he tore his ACL last year, but it was just an embarrassing season, not only for the Giants, but for Saquon Barkley as a whole. And people have asked him this in, in, in press conferences and stuff. He just seems very mellow about it. He doesn't seem like he's putting all of his effort in, which I'm sure he is, obviously, but he just doesn't seem too into being a Giant anymore. And I don't think he's going to be on the team. And honestly, I don't really want him on the team anymore. I'd rather get rid of him, get that cap space, cap space back and get better players that, that we can use. I just feel like if it's not going to be with the Giants, he's going to have success somewhere. I agree. You know, in the Giants team, man, they had some real, I mean, you, you know it best, the O-line was not where it needs to be. Not at all. And it's difficult to be a running back when your quarterback isn't performing. But it's, it's, the, it's, difficult to be a running, it's difficult to be a running back when the defensive linemen and the linebackers can just push through the offensive line like it's nothing. And by the time he gets handed the ball, they're already right in his face and they're tackling. And, so and that's my, my yeah. credit to Barkley. I think that he can be a godson. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair. I, I don't think that Saquon Barkley's NFL days are done by any stretch of the imagination. I think his time just might be up with the New York Giants and they may feel like they got to move on. And I, I think that would be a, a fair assessment to make as they look forward to, you know, uh, another season and, and trying to revamp this whole organization that has really fell on hard times after, you know, what was a, a really great run under Eli Manning during the, the mid to uh, early to mid 2000s and the success that he was able to bring that that organization. I mean, they were they were as much a contender as anybody. And it, it's. It's amazing to see how far that they have fallen and seeing if uh, Brian Dable, Joe Shane, and the rest of that organization can finally put their best foot forward and, and really lead them back to where they hope to be. That should just about wrap it up for us from the Los Angeles Convention Center. Our thanks to our guests, Jimmy Bell, former Ohio State and New York Giants defensive lineman, Michael Montgomery, former defensive lineman with the Green Bay Packers, John Yastrzemski, from the New York, New York Ringer Podcast Network and Brandon Marshall, Super Bowl champion, former linebacker with the Denver Broncos. If you missed any of today's show, it will be available on demand on the WFUV Sports YouTube channel. The sports director of WFUV is Bobby Chafferdini. For our entire WFUV Sports crew here in L.A., Jack Roach, Mike Messina, Mike Legan here with us as well. I'm Nick DeLuca. Thanks for hanging out with us one-on-one, -on -one, a production of WFUV Sports.